Hello, and welcome to Humans and Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 68 with Jim Davis. Jim Davis is a professional Magic player, full-time streamer, and the winner of the 2015 SCG Tour Players Championship. Jim's been around the block, and we talk about a wide range of topics. I'm just looking at my calendar now, and it's actually been a couple of weeks since the last episode. And the reason for that is just simply a lot of things have happened in the world. Without going too much into the coronavirus, I would just say to you, dear listener, use common sense and do your best to keep you and your loved ones safe. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and sometimes as a magic content creator, it can be hard to figure out whether all of this is worth doing or any of it is worth doing. But what I do know is that if you're staying inside all the time, figure out a way to keep playing magic, keep enjoying this game that we love, talk to your friends, use technology to stay in touch, do what it takes to to communicate with your loved ones. We don't know how long this thing is going to last, but if we stick together and show some solidarity, chances are we're going to be fine. Now, with that somber message out of the way, I also want to talk a bit about another project that I've started. During these times of staying inside all the time, I've started playing a lot more digital magic. I've started a new YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is called Past in James. And if you search YouTube for Past in James, Grixis Delver, you might be able to find one of my two videos. I'm just getting started. I do enjoy playing Magic. I've started recording these playthroughs with friends and I will be posting them on YouTube. So if you are like me and you just enjoy checking out Magic content, please check it out. Past in James. I'll post the link in the show notes. I also want to mention that this podcast is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. You may have heard the news or seen the news that Channel Fireball is shutting down their warehouses for the time being. But during this difficult time, it would be super awesome, super appreciated if you could check out their website. They've got a ton of great strategy articles, a ton of great video content, and figure out a way to stay involved, stay passionate with the game that we love. Go check out channelfireball.com. Our other sponsor is Cardboard Live. This is a time that's difficult. And this is a time where physical tabletop magic tournaments are harder and harder to come by. But if you enjoy playing magic, you're streaming magic, you're watching stream magic, then definitely give Cardboard Live a try. Cardboard Live allows you to tell a richer story with your Magic Arena stream or Magic Online stream. To get started, well, you can just email me, james at cardboard.live. We can get you started. We can get you set up with everything that you need to have an awesome magic stream. Check us out. Last thing I will say, if you like Humans of Magic, please check out the Humans of Magic website, humansofmagic.com. All right, that is it for all the shoutouts. Let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Jim Davis.
Jim, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, James? I'm doing excellent. I'm really excited to talk to you in a capacity that we have not had a chance to talk together before. So I'm just looking forward to learning a lot more about you today, I guess. Sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah. So how are things recently? How, how have things been in your part of the woods? It's been pretty crazy over here. We're obviously in the middle of a, a pandemic, which is, I guess, I mean, people were saying on Twitter talking about the the idea of this being like the biggest event to happen in their personal lives. You know, like I lived through 9-11 when I was in high school. I remember that very, very vividly. It's funny because I, I don't like to fly. You know, I fly to LaGuardia. I fly past the New York skyline and I just, it's always in the back of your head, you know, as a kid watching the 9-11 stuff. So it's kind of weird to be living through one of those moments, I guess, right now with this whole coronavirus thing. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy and life was pretty crazy before the coronavirus. You know, we're trying to buy a house and sell a house and, um, you know, content stuff's going on, which is really, really cool. You know, we're, we're kind of going through a, a change in my family in general where once we move, uh, Nicole's going to be leaving her job as a bartender and working with me full-time, helping me with my YouTube stuff, my content. She's going to basically be my, my manager full-time and uh, manager, assistant, and so on. So it's so pretty crazy. And then you throw all this... Uh, there's a world changing stuff on top of it. And, uh, whew, and they canceled the hockey season. You know, what's that? Oh, did they cancel it? It's, it's official then. Okay. I know I'm a big NBA guy, so I knew, I knew about the NBA yesterday, but yeah, they officially postponed, uh, the NHL, I believe MLB. Um, they were talking about doing the college NCAA basketball tournament, like to empty stadiums. I'm not sure if it's changed or not, but it's pretty. I think that was the point where everyone was like, "Oh, they're canceling the NBA season. This is not a joke anymore. This is actually a real thing," you know. So it's it's pretty crazy. Um, it's I suppose in a way good for me as a content creator, you know, looking at it from a very pragmatic and cold point of view, where people can't watch the NBA and they can't watch the NHL and they can't watch MLB. They can watch me play magic in my underwear from my room, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's been kind of cool, um, seeing the community come together too. We have a, a tournament planned for next weekend. It's still being kind of worked on, but, uh, it's gonna be like a charity event to raise some money for, you know, um, coronavirus stuff in general. And I think that sort of online tournament stuff can fill that void to an extent, which is pretty cool. You know, obviously yeah. the star city events were canceled. Uh, Grand Prix are being canceled. So it's, it's cool seeing the community come together, you know, in response to it. And there's going to be some way to fill that void, but it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That is that the one that Todd Anderson is going to be co commentating on. I, I saw that one on Twitter. Yeah. So Todd and, uh, and scooter setting it up and it's going to be like, kind of like a small, like 16 to 32 person tournament of mostly like, you know, well known streamers, MPL people and stuff. And, uh, Todd's going to do coverage on it on his main Twitter, uh, Twitch account. And then we'll all stream it on our personal accounts. Very similar to Fandom Legends or some of the uh, you know, the esportsy tournaments that have happened. And uh, Todd's going to be skyping in people for coverage, which is cool because Nicole's trying to get into that now. So Nicole might come in and do a round or two. Nicole's also doing coverage for her Mercury and Venus League, uh, done by Aspirant. She starts that on Saturday, which is cool too. So there's cool stuff happening, you know, just in the midst of uh, a lot of chaos. And I have to ask, what is your personal take on? the whole coronavirus situation. I mean, there's lots of doom and gloom in the news, obviously, but how do you feel about it personally? I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's, 
I mean, I try to avoid like politicsy stuff whenever I do my streaming things, and I'm kind of re- almost reevaluating that stance. You know, that's just like the business person in me knowing that politics are volatile, and by being very vocal about it, you risk alienating parts of your audience. You know, but I've kind of been reconsidering that. A lot of streamers like uh, like Jeff Hoagland and Todd Anderson, you know, who I have a lot of respect for and like, are very vocal about their their you know kind of sides on things. Uh, but it's pretty crazy. I mean, obviously it's not being handled well at all, you know, and it's the kind of thing where it's very telling of people in general where the coronavirus is not going to kill me. You know, I am a healthy 35 year old guy. You know, I live in a, a good area. I have access to medical care. Like for me, it's not really a threat, you know, but, and people are seeing it like that, like the, like the basketball player who was wiping his hands all over the microphones, making a joke out of it, you know, and up, Oops, he has coronavirus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's not a threat to me. And I think the people see that and they go, well, who cares? Just the flu. It's not a threat to me. But the reality is, you know, looking at the bigger picture, which people really fail at very often, you know, my dad's 70 years old. He lives in the next room, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Nicole's parents are in their 70s. You know, her dad's double hip replacement. Her mom's a smoker. You know, my dad's got medical problems as well. He's handicapped. Um you know, and the idea that more than just me spreading it around, you know, the, the whole lowering the curve thing, trying to just to slow it down so medical staff can handle things as they come, like, it just, uh, it's very telling of our society that it's big picture stuff that people don't see. They see it as, well, I'm not going to get sick, and if I do, it's just a flu, who cares? But they're not looking at the big picture and looking at other people and stuff, and and just just looking at us as a society and trying to make the whole better rather than just, well, I'll, I'll be fine. You know, so seeing that is, it's very endemic of our society in general, which is very frustrating. So it's in a lot of ways, it's exposing that, you know, and exposing how we handle things and exposing our leadership, which mm-hmm. in in one way is kind of good, I guess, because I mean, it's better to be exposed. So we can try and fix it, but it's, it's pretty crappy, honestly. Yeah. I think I understand what you're saying, Jim. It's like at some level, it's good that it exposes it. But on another level, it's like, okay, now we know this is something that is human in us. What do we actually do about it? What do we actually, how can we get past it, right? How can we actually make informed choices and actually show empathy for our neighbors? I think that's the, that's the challenging part. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the whole, our whole Medicare system and stuff is crazy. It's just so stupid, you know, that we don't have Medicare and, and things like that. And seeing that and seeing like, oh, well, people aren't going to get tested because they can't afford it. Well, maybe we should have thought of that, you know, like maybe we should have handled that before this happens, you know, the worst case scenario. It's not even the worst case scenario. I mean, worst case scenario would be an actual, you know, like disease that would, that could affect me or someone who's healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know. It's just crazy. And it's very, very frustrating. You know, the state of, of politics and everything is just unbelievably frustrating our country it's just it's not things aren't being run right you know and and you you almost feel like they never will be and just it really sucks thinking about it but on a slightly lighter note i see that you're wearing an oiler shirt so i assume that is your that is your affiliation is that like what how did how does the edmonton affiliation how did that come about for you i know you're a big fan of hockey but like explain that team affiliation so I'm I'm just a huge hockey fan. Uh, we're a hockey family. Uh, Nicole's an Islanders fan. I'm a Rangers fan. Uh, our nine year old, my stepson John, he's 
He's a Canadians fan. I don't know where that came from. That's just like the logo he chose when he was three. And mm-hmm. now he's starting to come around on the Rangers. But we just love having hockey stuff from all different teams. And this shirt I'm wearing in particular is a, a player on the Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl, who's on my fantasy team. And he's having like you know, an insane year this year. Had a great year last year. And every year, Nicole and I do a bet where we're both in our fantasy hockey league. I've been running it for like six years. And whatever team does better, the losing team between me and Nicole has to buy a shirt of a player on the winning player's team. So this year for Christmas, I got my dry saddle shirt because he's the best player on my team right now. And, uh, you know, I got Nicole and Andre Palat shirt a couple years ago from the Tampa Bay Lightning when she won. Um, I bought her a, a Johnny Boychuk shirt and I've got uh, a John Klingberg shirt from the Dallas Stars. So we're just a hockey family. The goal is to own one piece of apparel from every team. You know, so it's uh, fantasy hockey, watching hockey, playing hockey, hockey all, all over the place. That That is so awesome. I mean, when you first met Nicole before you were uh, romantically involved with her, like, was that something that you guys knew you had in common? Like, how did you guys meet? Was it through hockey or something else? No, we actually met online. Just one of those. Uh, it's, it's funny. It was a, a dating site. That's actually really cool, but they wanted your money, but you don't. They don't tell you that in the trial. Uh, it's called How About Me, <laughs> yeah. and the the idea is that instead of having a profile where I'm Jim, I like long walks on the beach, and I am, uh, you know, blah 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 blah. You know, it's just uh, you have a very short profile, and you just pitch like three three dates. So you say, How about we go to the Ranger game, or How about we go mm-hmm. ice skating? How about we go walk somewhere or whatever? And you pitch the dates, you see their pitches, and you go from there. But you can't actually do anything without paying, but you can make a profile. So I actually had made a profile. I saw they wanted like $20 a month and I was like, but I just put my email in like my location. So it was like my email space. It's your little, little hack to get around the registration. Exactly. And, uh, she had a similar thing, went to the site, thought it was cool, saw it and it was like, and just emailed me. And, uh, that was that basically we we met up, you know, for a, a date, a lunch date, uh, down port. So Port Jefferson's a place near us, kind of like the cool place to hang out. And uh, got a lunch date of pizza. She was wearing an Islander shirt, you know, and um, that almost nixed it right there. But uh, <laughs> we were able to work through that, you know, and uh, yeah. and keep going. Work through those reconcilable differences. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we we like some of our early dates were just playing hockey together. You know, it was a you know open skates at my local rink. We I play roller hockey. I never I never played ice before, and uh, she's played ice in the past, but. You know, we went to the, the open skate. She plays goalie. I play I play a uh, forward and, you know, went, played hockey, went back, had, had a nice dinner or whatever. So it's pretty cool. That sounds pretty ideal for, for a date situation. So you said that you are from a hockey family. How far back does that go? Like, were you playing hockey at age three? Like, explain that situation with your, your family and how that's sort of that interest or passion for hockey. I wish I was playing hockey at three. Um, I don't know. It wasn't really a family thing growing up. Um, my parents didn't really have much interest in sports. Uh, I just started playing hockey probably at like 13 or 14. Um, you'd play in the street, you know, my local friends or whatever. And I played in a league for a season or two when I was like 13 or 14. Never didn't really have a very good sports experience, uh, growing up where I felt like whenever I played a sport, the people in charge didn't really care. You know, like the my coach was just the, the goalie's dad, didn't know much about hockey, which, you know, to his credit, he's there with his kid. That's that's great, you know. But yeah. you know, his 
his coaching was very limited as far as me improving as a hockey player. Uh, we played like two seasons at the sports bubble. It was actually just a, an arena where it wasn't a building. It was a large bubble inflated by fans that was just like a dome sort of thing. And played a season and then took our money for the next season and then just closed and just pieced. Uh-huh. Just took everyone's money, and didn't you? <laughs> so, but uh, so I played like a one or two seasons when I was a kid. Um, and it's funny because I kind of put it down uh, in high school. You know, I got kind of angsty and edgy, and you know, started playing music and playing in bands, and kind of stopped doing sportsy stuff. I used to, I play I play a lot of golf too. I've actually played more golf than hockey uh, growing mm-hmm. up um, because my both my grandparents played golf, so I was doing golf lessons and clinics and stuff when I was like twelve, thirteen. But you know, got very edgy. Didn't want to play golf or hockey anymore just wanted to play in the band and be angsty. So I picked up hockey again, you know, I don't know, like my early 20s, um, just kind of started playing again locally, playing on like local beer league teams and was doing that, you know, on and off for years until I went to Stony Brook. I went to college late. Uh, I went to Stony Brook University, about 26 years old. I enrolled and I joined the club roller hockey team which was like one of the best choices I made in school. Um, they have a, it's a club team. You know, it is related to like a, an organization. I think it's the ECRHA or something. Um, that's a, you know, an organization that runs college hockey in the Northeast, but it's not like it's NCAA or anything. I was a club team and there was a, a division one team and a B team. And <laughs> what you need to know about me as a hockey player is, I was always the the all heart no talent guy, you know, um, trying harder than literally anyone, but just lack natural talent. You know, I don't really have great hands. You know, I'm fine, I'm passable, but I'm not one of those guys who just effortlessly does everything. You know, and uh, but joined the hockey team. It was tough at first, you know, because now I'm playing hockey with a lot of guys who are all a lot better than me, and haven't really played in an organized scenario before and I am 27 you know these are all 20 year old kids you know they're 19 Mm -hmm. 20 21 you know the the average age for a college kid not everyone there were a few older guys too but and that was that was tough um that first few months of that was very very challenging you know trying to kind of make my way I didn't know anyone I'm not particularly good so I'm not very appealing in that regard you know like this, if a guy shows up and he's you know dangling people and scoring goals, people are like, "Ooh, and Johnny's pretty good. What's up with Johnny?" You know. But so that was a very challenging period, um, but totally worth it because playing hockey in college was just so cool. It was very similar to Magic, where we would have a tournament on the weekend. We practice three days a week, which was insane. Like I got to play hockey three days a week. I was in I was in phenomenal shape. Um, learned a lot about playing, getting better. And there'd be a tournament on the weekend. So we'd pile into cars, just like Magic. We would drive three hours to Philadelphia or wherever the tournament was. And then we'd get a hotel and, you know, hang out, you know, have a few drinks, play some games, play our play our games on Saturday and Sunday, hang out between games, and then drive home. Just exactly like Magic, but it was hockey, you know. And it was it was kind of cool because I took on a, a little more of a, I don't want to say fatherly, like a, I guess, adulty role in it because I've been traveling to magic events for a decade at that point, 
you know, so this is old hat. You're, you're a veteran at that, at least. Yeah. Right. And these are all a bunch of 20 year old kids who are like, how do you get a hotel? You know, what do, what do we do? Is it was a toll booth? What, what is this? You know, so it was pretty cool. And, um, you know, doing that for maybe two, two, three years while I was in school was one of the highlights of school for sure. You know, and the team wasn't very good. Um, before I had joined, they had won like a national championship, but those players graduated, obviously. And we, we were kind of shorthanded where it felt like the each team, the Division One team, and then my team, the B team, felt short two players. So what that means is the best two players who would have been on the B team ended up being the worst two players on the Division One team, which made both teams suck. You know, right. so right. we didn't do very well. I mean, our records were not great. I think my career stats. I think I played like maybe 20 games. I had like, you know, three goals, three assists, probably like 20 penalty minutes. I played hard, uh, but you know, they weren't particularly good. So it wasn't a very successful venture in that regard, but just super fun, super great time. Um, I was named captain of the the B team, you know, about a year, year and a half in, which meant a lot to me. You know, it, yeah. I was clearly not the best player on the team, even on the B team, but I was the one who was always there working the hardest and, that was frustrating at times because we'd go to practice and some of like the top D one guys just wouldn't even be trying. You know, it's kind of like a like a Rudy scenario where I'm like, yeah, literally running people down, like trying as hard as I can. And right. some of the guys you're maximizing like, every every inch of your ability, and then these guys who right. have like twice your ability or something, they're not even trying and underperforming, right? Right, and like you know, and and even at you know twenty five percent, they're twice as good as me. You know, yeah. they just they just been playing forever. And they, right. And they that's frustrating because like you just like, well, what if you actually put 100 percent? Right. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like you put my heart in in one of those kids bodies and like maybe they're in the NHL. I, I don't I don't know. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. But so but that was just how I played, you know, and, uh, you know, the coaches like that. And they made me captain of the, of the uh, B team, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't really mean that much, but meant a lot to me. It was very, very, very cool to be recognized for that when you were doing that as part of the college hockey team, I have to assume that at that point it was a big part of your life. And so magic and maybe even academics was not as much of a priority at that time, or how would you describe it? I mean, it was definitely, I would say one of the more enjoyable parts of college. It wasn't all of it. You know, I was, I was mostly focusing on doing well in school and so on and so forth. I sure. also did a, a radio show on WUSB 90.1 FM. Uh, still, oh, what still was that about? College. Like a music school, a music show, or something? Or it was just a college radio station on on the campus, and uh, it was broadcast, you know, to, on on the same tower as the commercial station. So all of Long Island would get it, and um, it was just college and community community members doing whatever they wanted, basically, just kind of free form. You know, you have a two hour show, go nuts, you know. And uh, I used to do that where. At first, I would just hang out and play music and have fun, but eventually, I was contacted by um, this guy Maxwell Peters, who's a local music guy. He runs a lot of shows in the area, and he came to me with the idea of having local bands come into the radio show. And this is great for me because I used to play in local bands all the time when I was younger. But between Magic and school, I kind of just fell off. You know, didn't really have time for it. So I got to have local bands come to me and play a show for me in the studio. So that got me back into the local music community, which is awesome. And it was great for the show because it was just fun to see a live band on every week. They're super happy to be there. 
you know, they're super amped. They're on the radio. They're having the best time ever. It's great for me because it makes my show great. You know, great. it's great for me because all their friends and family listen. They're promoting the show. And uh, it got me back into the local music scene, got me back in touch with a lot of the bands in the area. And definitely really, really cool. So, I mean, that and hockey were like the two biggest things I did in school that were not school. Um, I was still, you know, focusing on doing well in school and stuff. But um, really, really, really fun. Very, very... Uh, poignant moments in my life because radio broadcasting translates very well into streaming. It's the same thing. Basically I just yeah. have a, you know, I'd have a two hour show. I could do whatever I want. Same thing with, same thing with streaming. So, um, that was really cool. And the hockey thing, like I said, I guess it didn't really directly affect my life in any way. You know, um, I was in good shape, but it was just a really fun, enjoyable experience that took me out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways. And, it's just sweet, honestly. I miss it. I miss it a lot. I play on a beer league team now. We have a game once a week, but I miss practice. You know, we will occasionally do a practice with my beer league team as we have the rink for an hour. And, you know, the guys just want to scrimmage and, and play and whatever. And, like, I miss the regimented practice. You know, like, I know I suck. And that made me suck a little bit less. You know, we used to do – our practices were pretty intense. They were, you know, let's do drills. We do drills. We do drills. You know, we have a two-on-one drill, three-on-two drill you know, corner battle drill, whatever. And, you know, and doing that, I mean, it obviously helped me, made me better as a, as a player. And it just, it was nice to be in this regimented process of trying to get better at something, you know, and a lot of the beer league guys are like, Oh, whatever, just play the game, have a beer, you know? So I miss that for sure. At the same time, it must be hard to find a more competitive league because it also requires more commitment and time on your end, right? I assume you have a lot of stuff going on now, so it makes it hard to go back to a uh, a college-like B-team structure, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, like, I had, I was playing music for a bit um, in a band called Teach Me Human. I'm with my buddy Brian, who I've been playing music with since I was 17, on and off. And uh, when I thought we were make, making our move... I decided to step back from it. And now that we're not moving, even with that, I'm like, you know, I just don't really have time to do this anymore, unfortunately. So it, it is hard to find time for stuff like that. You know, I, I play hockey once a week. I would like to play more. It's cool because with my, my stepson, he's been playing hockey now for the last two years. He's nine now. And I go with him. I go to the rink early with him. And I'll skate with him for an hour and a half, you know. And that's kind of my outlet for that too. So it is, it's tough working it in, but you, you kind of find a way and you kind of find ways to, to make it work. That's great. It's great that you find an activity that you guys can, can share and bond with. I mean, like did he, so you said he picked it up two years ago, was it? Yeah. Nicole had him skating at like two or three years old at like, you know, at, at the ice rink, just, you know, take him skating, but we got him actually playing. It's probably like three years ago now, you know, the local uh, roller hockey rink had a clinic where, you know, new kids could come and just skate. And then go for an hour. It's like 10 bucks. And then we signed him up to actually play about two years ago. So he's been playing now for, it's probably his like seventh or eighth season. Um, and he's, he's taken to it. He's still one of the younger kids on his team. You know, it's like, a, I think it's like 11 and under. He's not, he's, he just turned nine. I guess like, it's a while ago, but um, he's not, he's, he's yeah. nine and a half now. Uh, but it's cool. You know, I, I help coach the team. Um, I'm like the assistant coach, I guess, you know, the one dad coaches and I, I help, I'm on the bench helping. And if he doesn't show, I coach and, um, it's cool. You know, it's, it's challenging, 
because it's a, it's a scenario where you have some control, but not all the control. You know, John gets frustrated sometimes, and he he's definitely not like supremely naturally talented. You know, but he's busting his butt out there. He's playing, but he doesn't always give it the full oomph. You know, which is weird because you know that's how I am. I'm just you know, 100, 110%, 110% all in, you know, and there's times where he won't hustle and, and it frustrates me because I see that and like I'm trying to to help him and it's still that in him, but I can't make him do it. I'm not holding a controller, you know, right. I'm just watching and trying to coach as best I can. So it's it's a very interesting experience where, you know, I'm imparting some stuff on him and trying to impart other stuff and some sticks, some doesn't, you know, just trying to get him fired up, trying to get him to have that sort of like I don't know, killer mentality, you know, it's, he's just kind of like, I like hockey, hockey's fun, you know, but he's, yeah. he's nine, you know, he'll, he'll get there eventually, but it's just a very interesting experience, very different than, you know, me playing, but in the same way, I'm, I'm also getting to be involved and skate with him, and I, I skate with the kids beforehand, and we'll do like, you know, the four of them versus me, you know, try and get them to pass and work on their, on their stuff, and it's, it's, it's very fun, it's just a, a different experience. It sounds like you run a pretty tight ship. And is it hard to coach your son or, or your stepson? Um, I don't think so. Um, I'm pretty straightforward when it comes to stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm the more hardline parent. You know, um, where I'm very like, this is it. This is that. Do this. Don't do that. Go sit in timeout. You know, like I'm I try to be very fair and. I'm going to say something and you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And if you do it, there's an expectation. And if you don't do it, there's not an expectation. There's an expectation for that too. So that travels over very well to the hockey stuff. It's the same thing, you know, like go out and skate hard and do what you're supposed to do. If you don't do it, you know, there's no ice cream. You know, we do a pizza and ice cream basically afterwards. You know, if he has a, a good game, he gets pizza. If he has a great game, he gets ice cream. You know, and I'm, this is not pizza and ice cream every time. There's been games where he just, He's been slamming a stick and, you know, acting like a little brat and crying or whatever and stuff. And it's like, sorry, bud, no pizza, no ice cream. You didn't do what you're supposed to do, you know. So that's just come pretty simply to me. I'm not really sure why. Um, I think it's a uh, – honestly, when I was in college, I was a camp counselor over the summers for three years at a, a local, like, private school uh, summer camp. And that experience was – unbelievable i feel like every person every young person should have to do that for at least one summer because you get to work with kids for eight weeks it's tough kids don't always listen they're all different but you learn a lot about how to communicate to a kid how to discipline a kid what they listen to what they don't listen to you know kids really take well the structure and expectations um, a lot of parents, you know, kind of bargain with their kids or, you know, well, will you just please do this and all, and we can do that. Or you can watch TV if you, you know, it's, and like, yeah. that doesn't work at all. You know, that puts the ball in their court and lets them kind of control you. And the, it's, you learn pretty quickly that you just need to be extremely straightforward and extremely set your expectations. And if they're not met, then there's an expectation for what happens also, you know, and right. I got to practice that for three years being a camp counselor, you know, on mm-hmm. nine to 10 year old kids. And it was fun. It was a cool job. It paid pretty well, but it was just a, like literally parenting coaching, 
You know, like every person who's a, can- a counselor there who put in a good effort is probably going to be a good parent. So that helped in a very interesting way to kind of prepare me for, you know, working with John. And I think Nicole and I do a pretty good job, you know, all things considered. So I don't know. Yeah, no, it sounds like you guys are doing doing things uh, mostly right. So it's interesting that you brought up like John playing hockey at this age. So I know you said you didn't play hockey until you were 13 or 14. But do you remember like if you go back to when you were eight or nine, were you like super competitive even back then? Like what's the origins of your of you being competitive? Because I can definitely sense that in you. I'm just wondering like if you can trace that back to some something, whether it's like nature or nurture or, or some combination. It's interesting is I, when I was younger, I used to be kind of like John or John gets frustrated. And one of the problems John has is that, you know, he, he'll lose in a game and he'll just like, he just loses his mind. You know, like he just can't process it very well. And when I was younger, I was kind of like that too. Um, I had, I played golf from maybe like 10, 11, 12. I used to go to clinics and then I would have one-on-one lessons. And I remember being in my one-on-one lessons and I would like be not being able to get a concept getting frustrated. And I'd like slam my club down and my, my golf coach would be like, listen, man, like I can't coach you if you're going to act like this, you know, kind of stuff, you know, right. and John's similar to that too. So I assume the competitive stuff will come with him. He's very competitive with like doing things and playing games. He wants to win. He wants to play, you know, he's very intense about that, but mm-hmm. as a corollary, we'll also get frustrated. I think I was like that too. Um, but I don't know it. I mean, golf, I didn't really play golf competitively. Um, I played for a year in high school, but at that point I was like pretty checked out of my, you know, pretty, pretty checked into my angsty phase, you know, of Mm -hmm. like music and not really trying or caring about things. Um, so I didn't really experience, I guess, like really competitive stuff, probably until magic, I guess. Honestly, um, because even when I was you know, I was playing hockey when I was 13, I played for a season or two. I don't remember it that well. Um, I don't know. So I kind of, I guess I just grew up. I mean, I played video games and stuff, you know. I don't want to say grew up tilty, you know, but, you know, <laughs> frustrated if I lost, you know, didn't necessarily know how to focus it super well, you know, and then started playing Magic and started competing in Magic, and that's where I learned basically everything about competing, about not being tilty, you know, how that's how detrimental that is, um, and then kind of putting in what you put in and getting out what you put in. Um, so yeah, I guess it's mostly from, from Magic. So how old were you when you got into Magic? What set was it? It's a pretty funny story. So I was in high school, and uh, my best friend Matt was a my still one of my my, uh, my good friends lives in Pittsburgh. He actually moonlights as Captain America. He does like cosplay stuff, or like he'll like volunteer at hospitals like as Captain America. It's really cool. But Matt uh, Matt came in my room one day and he was just like had the seventh edition starter kit. It's like yo, I got this magic game. Let's play it. And me and Matt have very different personalities where I tend to lock into one or two things and just do it. You know. I'm playing guitar. I'm playing guitar now. I'm going to get, I'm going to get good at that. I'm playing magic. I'm playing magic now. I'm going to get good at that. You know? So Matt's the opposite. Matt is total, you know, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try that. Jack of all trades kind of person. 
yes, he, he just wants to do in, do everything. And he was like that with, you know, hobbies, girls, everything. You know, he like moved to Florida on a whim basically to be with this girl and obviously didn't work out. And then he did this. He's an electrician, joins the Navy, does he's just all over the place, you know. <laughs> and I think that our friendship works really well because of that, because we check each other, you know, where I'm like, dude, would you stop for a second? You know, like, you know, if you like skateboarding, then don't just throw it away. Do it. Focus on it. If you like cosplay, yeah. do it. Focus on it. You know, and at the same way, he goes to me, hey, stop just doing the same thing you've been doing for 10 years and try something new, you know, or, yeah. or get out yourself a little bit. So Matt comes in my room with the Magic Starter Kit 7th edition and he's like, play this game with me. And I'm like, nah, man. It sounds lame. You know, I'm sure I used more non- politically correct language as a stupid, yeah. you know, 14 year old or whatever. Uh, but you know, and he, he bugged me about it. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll play. So he takes the red green deck because the foil promo was a thorn elemental and gives me the blue white deck. And we learn the game, you know, and we're like trying to figure it out just based on the rule book. No one's teaching us, you know, and we're sort of like, well, I know you untap your lands every turn, but we're just going to use them again anyway. So let's leave them tapped. Right. Like, we can count, you know, like, <laughs> and so, you know, we were trying to figure the game out yeah. and, um, we played for a bit. It was cool. Go to school the next day and my buddy Gavin sees her playing and he's like, ice by that middle school. I'll bring some cards in. Cool. Next day he comes in and he has a Tundra, four Sarah Angel, four Wrath of God, four Counterspell for me for the, for the blue white deck. And I'm like, cool. Thanks, man. So just goes in my pocket, unsleeved. In a, in a, in a rubber band, you know, just the unsleeved Undra, ready to roll, and uh, add that to my deck. He starts playing too. We have a little crew playing at school every day at the lunch tables, you know, and the next year or two was just a lot of playing Magic on the lunch tables between classes at school. You know, I the internet was a thing back then, not at, like it is now, but there were websites. I think Essential Magic was the site I used to go to. I don't even know if that site still exists or not, but, you know, looking up cards, you know, and then I realized you could print out proxies, which was cool. And I built my first two decks that I built were like uh, a Shifting Skies deck. Shifting Skies is a three-man enchantment. It makes everything the same color. And I was like, whoa, if I play Shifting Skies and everything has protection from red or destroys red things, you know, uh, like Southern Paladin, whatever that card is that kills red permanence, you know, and... What an amazing this, combo! Yeah, this is a, a, a brilliant stroke of in, innovation. I'm I am a genius, you know. So right. I built the Shifting Skies deck. I had um, oh, I had a, a Seeker of Skybreak deck. That's the Titsa two one that untaps things, and I had like everything taps to do something, so I could use it all again. And then I had my my big blue deck, which was like four High Tide, four Apprentice Wizard, which is a blue blue one for a one one. And you pay one blue and get, like, three colorless. It's like a ritual, but it's blue, which is very weird. And I was, like, casting, like, Polar Kraken and Leviathan and stuff off my high tides. And I had the the insane combo of Tidal Kraken, which is, like, an 8-8 unblockable for, like, 8 or something. And the card Diplomatic Immunity, which is a 2-mana aura that says creature has hexproof and the aura has hexproof. So you put that on unblockable creature, it's unstoppable. You can't kill right. it. You can't kill the enchantment. You can't block the creature. What are you going to do? You know? So those are my first few decks. And that's what got me started. 
But obviously everyone kind of waned away from it. Matt was on to the next thing, you know, three weeks later, and I just kept playing. I found um, Apprentice, you know, the old online way to play. Sure. It's like Apprentice and the old IRC channels. I played in that. And then when Magic Online came out, I was just early early adopter. You know, I wasn't in the Oh, beta, so you were but... like ground zero on Magic Online when it came out. Yes. And that's where I started playing, basically. You know, there's a difference between playing with title cranking on the kitchen table and actually playing competitive Magic. So I got a Magic Online and I obviously got wrecked. But I was I was hooked. I was in at that point. You know, this game is amazing. And I used to camp out in the casual rooms. Back then, there was no moderation. Wild Wild West. And uh-huh. cards were worth something. Every rare was worth, like, a half a ticket. You know, like, two rares for a ticket was, like, the going rate at the time. And I would draft. And then I would, you know, lose. I would go in the casual room where I wasn't supposed to be and just be like, who wants to buy some rares for, you know, two for a ticket or whatever. And I would just, yeah. like, grind out selling the cards back so I could draft yeah. again. Dude, and then yeah, I would yeah. draft again, you know. And then I remember vividly when I learned about damage on the stack. It was a 7th edition draft, and I attack with my hill giant, and they block with giant octopus, and then they cast unsummon, and my guy died. And I was like, wait, what? Why did my guy <laughs> die? This, what, 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 I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I asked yeah, them, I yeah. to type you're in chat. Yeah, getting a crash like, course in how the rules work, yeah. Right, and I type in chat, and they, they, they were kind of to explain it to me. And, uh, but yeah, so I just cut my teeth playing Magic Online for a few years like that, and was very fortunate because that was like the early wave where back then everyone was terrible at magic just terrible you know aside from the very very upper echelons you know the Mm -hmm. the disparity between kai and you know the worst player any given pro tour was the grand canyon you know now it's Mm -hmm. not like that you know now the worst Mm -hmm. player at a pro tours could probably win the pro tour given things you know all things being considered you know if things roll the right way so back then uh, there was just a lot of advantage to be gained in getting better quickly. And the players who played on Magic Online had a huge, huge advantage in that regard. Right. And um, so I played a lot. You know, I was, um, I was in, like, community college at the time, just working, like, a retail job. I just played a ton of Magic Online and slowly got better, you know, through trial and error. And uh, eventually that... Uh, transferred to me wanting to go play in real life you know and um i venture out to the legions pre-release was held at it wasn't held at neutral ground it was run by neutral ground but it was actually held at a rented out hall like a few blocks away from neutral ground right due to space i assume or some other yeah 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 and um those that don't know neutral ground is like the legendary mecca of magic in new york Uh, it was brian david marshall's store uh tons of hall of fame players cut their teeth there um, just like the Mecca in New York. And um, so go to the pre-release, play the pre-release, it's pretty cool. And they're like, hey, there's a Pro Tour qualifier in two weeks. It's sealed deck. And I'm like, that sounds cool. So I draft all week, you know, whatever, play, play sealed all week on, on Magic Online. I show up to this PTQ at Neutral Ground, one of the hardest places in the world to qualify, uh, with my 16-10 rating from playing four pre-release games or whatever, you know. And <laughs> open a decent go. pool, top eight the PTQ, and everyone's like, "Who the hell is this guy?" You know. And then I, I vividly remember my top eight match. I played against Eric Olson, a good guy from New York, and it was Onslaught Legion's draft. We were both jund. We were both like green, black, splashing for red. And he had 
like four awesome rares, like Bane of a Living, like, and I so his deck, which is my deck, plus four rares, and I play really well, and I'm like in a winning position, and I just mistap my lands one turn, where I had a, a beast where you pay green green one to pump a beast, and I had nine mana with six green, but I tapped three green, then two green, then didn't have two green to tap it again, and lost because of it, and I would have won, so, you know, pretty. Pretty gripping first tournament experience of playing this qualifier, top eight the qualifier as a literal nobody, you know, and then yeah. punt in top eight where I could have won and beaten a really good deck. So it's a pretty, pretty, it was like a, this is like a, you know, a five year stretch, six year stretch, but, you know, and then you know, Matt obviously stopped playing a long time ago and I'd call him up and talk to him about it. He'd be like, oh, you're still playing this game? That's pretty cool. You know, and then when I, when on my first qualifier, it was for a pro tour in Hawaii. And at that point, Matt was into into surfing, like huge into surfing. That's, 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 that's his thing now, surfing, surfing, surfing. He's in, he's in Florida and Jacksonville surfing. And I call him and I tell him, yo, I'm, I'm going to Hawaii for a Magic Pro event. And he's like, what? Like, you're going to the, the surfing capital of the world to go sit in a room and play Magic? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, damn, man, why did I keep playing Magic? You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, just pretty, it's just pretty funny how... Uh, how it all funny like, how things work out yeah how it all changed my life so much if, if matt had just if i had just said no i don't, I don't want to play matt and he was just like all right and walked out of my room my life would be unbelievably different i'd probably be like a doctor or something so thanks yeah. matt but um yeah pretty crazy yeah fork in the road and all that what's really wild about this too is that i had no idea before talking to you that you were like basically exclusively an online player and then you made the transition into competitive paper. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I started playing online, mostly played online for a long time. I would occasionally travel to, like, a sealed BTQ. Back then, I was only limited. Didn't play Constructed. Yeah. Um, and I would go to sealed BTQs here and there, and then eventually kind of worked my way to a local store, got in with the local crowd, was able to play Constructed with cards and stuff, and... That's when I started getting really serious about paper, you know, going to going to PTQs every weekend and things like that. But yeah, the, the first five years, it's all Magic Online, and that's where I basically learned to play. I mean, I I drafted an obscene amount. You know, I was a, you know, I'm very fortunate that I, you know, my 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 family is not like rich, but you know, we're 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 comfortably you know upper middle class, you know, and I was afforded the opportunity where I was you know working part time retail going to school, community college, kind of part-time, and just playing a ton of Magic. And, you know, if I didn't have, didn't have an opportunity, if I had to work full-time or had to do, you know, other things, I probably would have never gotten into Magic so seriously. So I'm very fortunate for that. Um, but um, just played Magic online nonstop. I was doing Magic online full-time for a while, where I was just, like, grinding events and selling tickets, and that was my means of living. You know, like, I've been through it all when it comes to, like, the, all the grinder lifestyle, like, unhealthy stuff. Um, yeah. you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see my lifetime, lifetime draft count on magic online. And I have, I have done a dozen drafts in the last five years, you know, like, so like it's all <laughs> from back then. I used to draft four times right. a day, every single day. So right. lot, 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 lot of magic online. I would love to see the stats for my account overall. It's like games played drafts done. You know, I just think it's wild because nowadays you have this sort of player base that's like brought up through arena right it's like people who are streaming arena that's like their first 
experience in magic basically and then they start getting into paper and I, and for you you're like kind of the og who like did that back when there was no arena it was just magic online this terrible interface and this program yeah. that barely worked right it, i mean it still kind of barely works but you know i i can imagine back then it must have been even harder to <laughs> to make the, the program work as it were honestly the early versions weren't bad like the, the oh, okay. very first like leaping liz- lizard version which i love seeing screenshots of it's so nostalgic uh, it looks like yeah. hell uh that version worked kind of fine you know, once Wizards took it in-house, it's when things started to get pretty wonky, and I've been through all the crashes and all the events that screwed up, and, you know, yeah, I, I don't even remember a lot of it, because it was just so long ago. It was like 15 years ago at this point, but, yeah, definitely there from the beginning. And real, realistically, like, I mean, that's how you get good, you know, like, yeah. just being, just grinding that axe, basically, you know, and I would be in these drafts, and back then there was just a draft pod. There wasn't really a delineation between, like, casual and competitive and this and that, and, you know. And I'd be in a draft pod with, you know, Rich Hohen and Kai Bude or whatever. They're practicing for the next Pro Tour, and here I am just grinding away, you know, like, and trying, yeah. you know. And so I'm, I'm losing a lot, but I'm learning and playing with players who are better than me. And that's the, the biggest impediment a lot of players have to getting better is that you get better at Magic by playing Magic with people, people, people better than you. And Magic Online allowed you to do that with ease. Whereas, even if you, if, you, if, you, if you go to your local store and you want to play with the guys who are the best players at the store, it's hard to even get in with that crowd in a way. you know. And those players are the best players in that store, not necessarily in the world or in their region or whatever. So Magic Online definitely... And we see that now. We know that now. You know, Now you know. You play in Arena. You're playing in High Mythic. You're playing against very good players. There wasn't really a thing back then. People didn't really realize, you know, they used to call it the yeah. magic online effect, you know, where, um, oh, those decks aren't real. They're just magic online decks. And like people didn't realize, <laughs> like, no, they actually are real. You're just way behind in paper, you know, and right. uh, definitely a huge advantage. And now the full weight of my statement is really sinking in because I remember I telling you a while back that I just got into magic online like maybe two months <laughs> ago. And so God now speak. I understand, like, telling you this must be, like, someone telling me, like, hey, James, I just discovered, like, the iPhone, like, yesterday or something. Like, like <laughs> you've been doing this for so long. It's probably, like, part of your DNA. And I'm just, like, here, like, hey, Jim, I finally got into Magic Online. Hey, Jim. It is well, Magic Online 2020, let me tell you. Going from Arena to Magic Online was, was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Did you know you can play Magic on the internet? Oh, yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's actually, actually, actually pretty wild. Um, what was it like to go from arena to, you know, the bare bones magic online experience? You know, I think initially it was just really the economy and getting used to the, the MO economy. That was the biggest thing for me, but I can tell you now, like after two months of playing magic online, I think it's great. Actually. I think it mostly works. I, I feel like I'm getting a lot of good practice in with very skilled opponents all the time. And I feel like everything just works like it's it's actually pretty uh pretty refreshing so i don't really i don't really have anything negative to say about it it's just the initially the interface took a bit of getting used to but now it's just sort of like okay i actually don't miss my attacks i actually know how to set stops so it's it's all it's it's all pretty pretty decent actually yeah definitely you know it's it's just magic you know like it's yeah there's a few bumps in the road but realistically it's just magic and it's often high level magic and it's great. It's definitely, it's for someone just trying to get better at magic. It's it. 
you know, like play Magic yeah. Online, start grinding, you know, and then pay attention yeah. to what you're doing. You know, on Arena, it's easy to kind of be like, wee, I'm going to cast this card, auto-tapper, wee, which I love. I mean, I think that the speed of Arena is fantastic, but it can lead you to kind of feel like you're just playing a game, which I guess is a good thing in a lot of ways, but also a bad thing where you're kind of just like absentmindedly taking actions and watching things, you know, pop out of cards and stuff, which is cool. But yeah. Magic Online is just, you're just playing Magic. You know, you better play well or yeah. you're going to lose. Yeah, it's great. And now when I play paper, I'm just thinking about like first main, second main attacks. I'm thinking about like actually how triggers work. Like it's all stuff that Magic Online just really teaches you to be sharp at, I guess. So I have no I have no complaints about that. Yeah, for sure. Being able to visually see the stack, being able to visually see each phase, um, to see the priority passes is was huge for me in learning how to play and learning just the game itself and having a great greater knowledge of how the game works. And because uh, when you learn in paper, someone's teaching you, they kind of gloss over stuff. It's just like, yeah, you attack here, and then, 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 you, then you block. You know, well, there's actually a beginning of combat step, and there's actually an end of combat step, which you often want to use for things. You know, not not often, but you know, in limited, there's definitely times where you want to end a combat. Say you have a target player sacrifices an attacking creature. You know, they attack with the two creatures, the one one and the ten ten. You block the one one, it dies, and then end of combat while the ten ten's still attacking. You play the the card that says sack an attacking creature, you know, and you would never consider that in paper if you didn't know those phases existed. But Magic Online, you just see the phase. You go, oh, it's end of combat step. What can I do here? You know, so very, very useful tool in that regard. Yeah, you just squeeze out a lot of extra value out of your your gameplay and stuff, and it's just it's really great. And I and I think what you're saying too is that I feel that like Arena simplifies a lot of things for for good or for for bad. I guess that's just how it is. Yeah. And it's, I think Arena's great. You know, I think it is, as far as growing the game and being more accessible and being more enjoyable, like, I enjoy playing Arena more than I enjoy playing Magic Online. You know, uh, for streaming especially. Like, oh yeah, there's just sound, you know, and there's just things happening, and it's just a, a much better experience for the year 2020. Whereas when I play Magic Online, I feel like I'm back in, you know, 2002. You know, like just plugging away. So arena is great, you know, but it's, it's just the fact that magic as a game is just a complicated game and it's hard in paper. It's kind of the same thing where in paper you can kind of gloss over that end of combat step and never really know about it. But the strategic depth is there where if you want to use it, you can, you know, and arena makes the games nice and quick but, you know, probably a little more akin to playing a casual game with friends than, like, a hardline competitive tournament game unless you know how to set your stops and so on and so forth and not get, you know, blown past really fast. So Arena's great. I love Arena, but Magic Online is definitely the more nuts-and-bolts version of Magic that we're used to. I think a lot of people listening to this probably have been following your career as a magic player but i wanted to explore jim the role that you took as a content creator can you tell me about when you first started getting into writing or producing magic content of any sort it's funny because as a, a person i think i'm fairly modest and almost private um and when i started doing content it was writing articles for star city games God, about like eight years ago now, um, I had been 
in college for a while now. I actually took a a break from Magic where I played in Pro Tours and stuff. You know, I was playing Magic Online all the time and playing qualifiers. And at that point in my life, it was just all in on Magic. You know, I was playing Magic Online six hours a day. You know, school part-time, work part-time occasionally. I was running a side hustle where I would, like, build starter decks and sell them on eBay. You know, like $15 for a starter deck, which is worth, like, you know, it's like a dollar worth of cards. It's just, like, hustling my way with that, hustling with, you know, selling Magic Online tickets and grinding PTQs, grinding PTQs. You could not stop me from being at a PTQ. You know, come hell or high water, I'll drive to Boston at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to this PTQ. You know, and eventually I qualified for a Pro Tour in Honolulu. And then I eventually won a qualifier for the next Pro Tour in Prague before I even went to Honolulu. And that got me started back in 2006 playing in Pro Tours. And from 06 to 09, I played in most of the Pro Tours to like, I mean, medium to middling success. I had like a top 32, a top 24, uh, a top 8 at a Grand Prix. You know, like mild, you know, not, not bad things, but not exactly, you know, befitting of someone who's putting the amount of time that I was putting into it, you know, and um, went through that for a couple of years. And at the end of it, I realized that I was sort of just like, all right, I'm 25. I've worked part-time in retail. I have my, you know, two-year degree from a community college. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing with my life. And I'm just traveling all over the world to play these magic events, which is really cool. My lifetime winnings is like $5,000 in three years. Like, I'm side hustling to sell these magic cards on eBay. I'm side hustling to, I would like triple Q the release events on Magic Online, like the sealed decks, because if you three wonder better, you like, the EV was really good. I would like triple Q them, accrue a lot of tickets, sell the tickets on eBay. Like, it just, there's just no way to live, you know? Like, and uh, (laughs) so around that time in like 2010, I was like, I gotta get my life in order. So stop playing Magic, uh, just put it down. Uh, applied for school uh, at Stony Brook University, and just tried really hard. Also went through a pretty, pretty big breakup at this point, so that's a pretty good catalyst for restarting your life. It was a long like nine year yeah. relationship, and just hit the reset button. Basically, went back to school, mm-hmm. stopped playing Magic almost entirely. Um, that's when I got into you know the roller hockey club at, at school and uh, the radio show makes and. Sense. Yep. A lot of uh, it's funny actually. You ever seen the movie Yes Man? I have. You have. That movie changed my life, which sounds very silly, but you know, coming out of my relationship, coming out of just grinding magic incessantly and not really having any direction, I was just lost, totally lost. And the movie Yes Man really is about that. It's about someone who's lost in life and not really sure what they're doing, and they're just feel stuck, you know, and the idea of saying yes to everything. It sounds silly because, like, it's a dumb Jim Carrey movie and it's a comedy, whatever. But it really is. Like, I tell people, like, if you feel stuck in life or lost in life, just be a yes man. You know, I ended up on the roller hockey team because I said yes. I went to a I, – I was like, all right, I'll go to this local event fair at the college. Oh, I was a, we have a roller hockey team? Yes, I'll do that. Jim, want to get a radio show? Yes, I do. Jim, want to work at the writing center? Yeah, I do. Jim, want to TA this class? Yeah. Definitely, you know, and the just the notion of saying yes to everything. Obviously, you can't just do that. You know, hey, Jim, want to rob a bank? Yeah, sure. You know, like you can't do that, <laughs> you know, but 
the notion well, within of, realistic constraints, sure, yeah. right? You know, and and the notion of kind of going out of your comfort zone, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to try new things and just experiment with stuff, you know. I did like I joined, I joined like, a, like a poetry club for a bit, you know, and I didn't really like that, so that's cool. I'll do something else, you know, it's fine. But the ability to do that, and that kind of goes back to Matt, where that's a Matt did his whole life, he said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And the downside to that is that you end up being jack of all trades, master of none, which is something Matt struggles with as a person. But that's a talent that I didn't have, you know. So through this period of going back to school, quitting magic, kind of just bouncing around between things, saying yes to everything, trying new experiences and stuff, um, did that for a couple of years in college, and then slowly started to work my way back into magic through Star City, where. Some old friends were like, "Hey, there's a tournament in you know in uh, Baltimore. It's a Star City Open. You know, there's no pro points. You're not chasing points. You're not trying to grind to qualify for a pro tour. You just show up, and if you win, you get five thousand dollars. You know, or whatever, whatever the structure was back then. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll go play in that. Sure. You know, and then that through the end of kind of my college career started getting me back into Magic, where it was like, all right, I can do this now. But at that point, now I was a much more well-rounded person." I wasn't just going to dive into magic, do nothing, do nothing else and let it consume me. I was doing other things. I was, you know, doing the radio show and hockey and this and that and school, you know, and had some sort of a plan for my life at that point. Uh, and that allowed me to get back into magic, both with a clearer head because I was now playing in a tournament where it's not like if I don't do well, like I'm not going to have money, you know, like I'll go to a PTQ with like, eight hours in my wallet if I did bad I come home with nothing and I'm like well crap I don't have any money left you know whereas I was much more much better better off at this point you know much more even keeled had a little, little more money in the bank and naturally it's a lot easier to do better when you're in that scenario so you know went to an open went back to school went to an open or two went back to school and then the invitationals were the tournaments that were like whoa this is awesome they're not very hard to qualify for there's a lot of money involved I should make sure I play in these. So now it's like, now there's some sort of semblance of, well, now I got to play enough to make sure I call it for an invitational. And now I'm back in the loop, you know, but, but at that point I had, you know, I had balanced myself out enough where I was doing things responsibly, basically, you know, and funny side note, I don't think anyone's played more invitationals than I have. I've been playing them since like the very, very beginning. I don't think I've missed one. I like to have stats on that, but so it's just the best tournament ever. Just the best EV, uh, high competition. The early ones back in the day were small. They were like 180 players. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my buddy Max Teets, he won an Invitational. He was 11 and five and stuck in the top eight in eighth place on breakers, mm-hmm. you know? So super high EV events. You know, they're not like, like that now. They're much more, much more difficult, but the allure of them was, you know, there very early on. So got back into that and then it was sort of like, hey, should I write articles? I literally am in school for English and writing. I write all the time. I love magic. Should I do that? Yes, man. All right, sure. Yeah. You know, and I initially didn't want to because back then there was a notion that the writers were writers that weren't very good. You know, kind of like the the the, the notion, and it's a false notion, that those who can't do teach kind of thing. You know, and... The writers now, obviously, every good player writes, it, so it's it's not like that anymore. Back then, it was a little more like that. You know, the, there were the writers who would write a lot but wouldn't necessarily do very well, and I didn't want to be, like, associated with that because I was just stupid and, I don't know, whatever. You know, like, 
just mm-hmm. that. And like, I didn't love the idea of like putting myself out there every week. Cause again, I'm kind of, you know, I was kind of a more quieter, a little more reserved, a little more, uh, private person. So I decided, you know what? Yes, man, let's just do it. Just do it. So I won a PTQ playing Splinter Twin, uh, in modern that I hadn't really played magic much in the last, you know, year, sort of like my buddy Pete's like, Hey, PTQ in Philly. Want to go? Yeah, sure. Build this deck, win the PTQ. And I decided to write an article about it. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. write an article goes over really, really well. And, um, honestly don't even remember who was in charge of star city at the time i can't even remember sorry whoever was, was my, my boss back then but um you know wrote an article got paid like 50 bucks for it or whatever which is great for me at the time you know mm-hmm. and turned into a weekly gig i think i was actually bi-weekly to start and just started writing and at that point for me being a little more out of my shell being a little more open to things and then literally being in school for English and writing and writing, you know, four papers a week, it was easy. It was just, it, it flowed very naturally and very well. And, you know, for a long time, that was the only content that I did. It's just write an article every two weeks, you know, and then it became every week. And then I got paid a little more and I got paid a little more. And it wasn't a huge part of my income, but it definitely was a very real part where I was, you know, seeing the, the benefits of it. And started playing on the SG tour stuff and that kind of went together where now the notoriety was a little, you know, it was a little more positive, you know, where I was kind of seeing it like, Hey, if I do well in a tournament, I get more views on my article. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You know? And that was kind of just like the very, very beginning of, of content creation for me and just mostly just articles for those first few years. What are some of the things that you've learned from writing all these articles over the years. Maybe something that you didn't know about initially in your first article that you're now like very aware of or something to that effect. It basically taught me about how content works, you know, and how not everyone has the same perspective as you. You know, um, one of my earliest articles uh, I wrote called One Word was about getting better at magic with the word why. Just like asking yourself why for literally everything. You know, they play a land, sure. why do they do that? They do this, why do they do that? And that's kind of the, the 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 door opening to being better at magic because you're being critical about what's happening and being deductive reasoning and so on and so forth. And the opening of the article was there are uh, two kinds of magic players, ones who want to get better at magic and ones who say they want to get better but don't actually want to get better. They just want to be amused and play a game and read content and have a laugh once in a while. And they're, you know, they they might be under the kind of guise of a competitive player, but reality, they don't care that much. You know, they, they just kind of want to play and have fun. And if they get a little better, cool, but you know, and that's the majority of people who consume content, you know, they're not trying to be the best player in the world because frankly, it's very difficult. You know, it requires a lot of natural talent, a lot, a lot of time, a lot of work. And I realized that, with my content, the really heavy theory stuff, the stuff that you would consider like almost academic, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't for everyone, which makes sense. You know, like just like people might like reading Shakespeare or uh, seeing a Shakespeare play, don't necessarily want to dive into the, the, the nuances of one particular soliloquy, you know, in one particular act from three different points of view of five different actors playing the part in different ways. You know, like that's like hard line, you know, 
deep in college, I'm a, I'm an expert at this stuff. And most people don't want to do that. And Maddox similar, you know, you do a, a really heavy theory article on like mulliganing and people were just like, well, where's the deck was I can play at FNM tonight? You know? So yeah. I learned a lot about, you know, content being who, who's it for in a lot of ways, you know, who's the, who's your target audience, how to kind of make them happy. And they had to tell the line a bit too, because I'm still a serious magic player. I still want to do the serious theory stuff too, how to make it accessible, how to bridge that gap a little bit. And, um, it's challenging, you know. I think the, a sentiment you hear often from content creators is that they don't want to dumb down their content. Content, um, but it's more about just making sure it, it hits the right audience. And it's a it's a hard thing to learn. It can it can be a little bitter at times. I know you know Ross Merriam's a good friend of mine, and mm-hmm. Ross is not a uh, the kind of person who wants to be like, hey, hey, look at me, you know, like he's a serious analytical magic player who's a very good player and very, very serious about the game. And sure. he loves to write those very academic, deep dive articles that don't necessarily do that well. So he'd be like, All I mean, right, but that's him, right? That's what he's into. Yeah. You can't. Right. That. But you know, but audience wise, that doesn't always do super well. So he, occasionally he has to be like top five cards in, in Ravnica, you know, article or whatever. Right. So, there's a struggle uh, for sure among higher level players trying to figure that out, you know, and you look at someone like, uh, like Seth from magic, uh, magic goldfish or empty goldfish, you know, or some of the more casual content creators and they kill it because they are doing a really good job at properly targeting that audience of the more casual. We love magic, but we're never going to play in a pro tour, you know, and yeah. Seth's great. I love Seth. And, trying to find your space on that spectrum is tough. You know, you have like hyper casual on one side and then hyper competitive, like I am a pro tour champion and I want to finally tune my game. You know, both of those aren't necessarily appealing, but the the bell curve in between is where you want to be. And it's about finding the spot that you fit on that curve personally. Do you think that there's a market for that super, super high level PT level type of play and strategic analysis. There definitely is, but it's more let's say parasitic is the word. Um, it's more, it's not self-perpetuating. You know, I find, and personally, that's kind of how I consume content with magic. You know, I don't watch a lot of magic. Um, I will read articles if it's a topic that interests me because I want to learn. Um, mm-hmm. The only time you'll catch me watching a stream for longer than a few minutes to see what's going on is if someone's playing a deck that I want to learn. And I think they're very good, you know. So I'm that's my magic content, you know, niche or whatever as far as a consumer of content, and that's typically how the more high level content goes. You know, I'm not reading Brad Nelson's article because I like Brad Nelson, which I do. Brad's a good guy. But I'm reading it because I want to know how he sideboards in the Soul Time Mirror because I'm playing the deck and I need to know, you know. Right. And while that is a valuable, a very valuable piece of content, it doesn't mean I'm going to be a Brad Nelson fan every week. You know, I'm almost using right. him for his ideas, you know, whereas someone like Seth, you know, puts a video up every week and people just want to watch. They love watching Seth. He's a, he's a fun magic player. He's good. He's fun. He has great ideas. And I'm I'm a fan. I love watching, you know, so... The the more pedantic, serious stuff leads to a, you know, sort of 
almost selfish consumption where you're just trying to consume what will most benefit you rather than consume everything. Or putting it another way, there's no allegiance. Like there's no brand or persona associated with that quest for the best content. It's just sort of like I'm going to pluck from wherever I can find it. So as a result, it's also harder to find an audience because that audience is going to go to wherever wherever it happens to be. Exactly, exactly. And we're seeing um, there's definitely a market for that, but it's not a very big market. It's, it's very specific, but it is very desired. The players who want it are willing to pay for it. That's why you see things like Star City Premium and then the more recent development in content creation, which is the Patreons and the private kind of paywall, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, someone will have a Patreon, like uh, Dylan Hand has his humans Patreon, basically. Where like literally every week he posts his updated humans list in Cyborg Gut. So if I'm a humans player, specifically, that's what I want to go to specifically. You know, there's no, you know, what's he playing this week? It just, I play humans. I want the best Cyborg guy possible. I'm willing to pay for it, you know, but yeah. that's much more niche than just, you know, being the more general yeah. content creator and trying to spread your wings as far as you can. And that's also a double-edged sword because Dylan might be one of the best in the world at humans, but then there's no magic player that's going to, I guess there there are the Pat Chapins out there who wrote the whole book on, you know, next level magic. But <laughs> like, it's very rare that you find someone who's willing to go into like a master class on every aspect or all these different archetypes in magic. So it's it's sort of like this mythical figure that maybe doesn't exist or if that person is around he or she is probably like too busy crushing pro tours to actually give these presentations right yeah i mean the issue is again like that the audience necessarily isn't there for it you know there's there's an audience for it but it's not as big as the general audience so therefore it's often not really worth the time and honestly literally cedric would be like hey chill with the theory stuff you know like we got to sell some sell some cards here like these articles on hit as well you know, so there are certainly like, you know, I think, I think Paulo's articles are really, really good. Um, you know, there are a number of um, players who are putting out content like that and certainly worth it, but it's not the, the main line, you know, what's going to make you money as a content creator, you know, and that's especially true when you are working for yourself. You know, if I'm hired by a star to write articles, they're paying me. And realistically, if the articles don't do well, they can fire me, but they're still paying me. You know, yeah. whereas someone like me who's doing, you know, YouTube and Twitch, if my content sucks, people don't watch it, you know, <laughs> and if they don't watch it, I don't get paid, you know, I mean, you're just dead to them if they don't come. Yeah, right. You know, so the 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 premium sort of articles and things like that, where you're being paid, you know, a high level players being paid for content, you know, that can kind of that, that's where that that works. But if you're a more general full time content creator where your goal is to curate the largest audience possible, it's risky. So talk to me about how you went from writing articles for SCG to the gig that you have now. As I understand it, you play a pretty major role on Cool Stuff Inc. So tell me about how that happened and, you know, the circumstances around it. So it was all kind of unplanned, really. You know, I was writing articles for Star City. Um, I got pretty involved in the Star City tour, you know, from that early beginnings of like just, oh, cool, a cash tournament. Oh, cool, an invitational. I started playing more and more and being more involved in it. And I was on the tail end of school now where I'm, you know, finishing up college at Stony Brook, getting closer to graduating. And I'm still poking around a bit. I was playing a lot on the Star City Tour at that point, traveling a lot. Streaming's kind of this newer thing. Try it out a few times. It's pretty cool. It's fun. You know, I was very fortunate that I already had a following. One of the hardest things about streaming is if some, if, you know, 
Joe Schmo decides, I want to start streaming Magic. They can be the just literal, streaming to two people, right? Right. Yeah. They can be the literal best player in the world and the most entertaining person in the world. But that first step, those first 10 viewers are like, whew, that's hard. You know? So I skipped that part because I was already a well-known player from playing on Star City Tour events. Um, I've been writing for years on Star City. You know, I was a known quantity at that point. I played in the Pro Tour in the past. So I started streaming and I had 100 viewers immediately, you know, which is great. So streamed a little bit. And it's actually really funny because I I played Star City a lot. Uh, graduated from school. I did a year of teaching at a private school that the same summer camp that I was working at hired me to be a, a part-time teacher. And doing the Star City stuff, streaming a little bit here and there. Uh, I played in their Players Championship in 2014, which I worked all hard, all hard all year to get to. Bombed, which is obviously devastating and... For my competitive psyche, I was very, very angry about it. And then 2015, all in. I was like, all right, I'm queuing for this player championship. I'm doing well. Let's do this. You know, And that was the year I was working. So I win the first season of the tour to qualify for the player championship. So I had the rest of the year to kind of chill a little bit. And started poking around in content. Started trying, you know, different things magic-wise or whatever. Um, so when, when Nicole and I's relationship was starting to, to amp up a bit. And Nicole was unbelievably instrumental because she was working, you know, five days a week at the bar. She's a bartender. She's a bartender and making good money where I wasn't really making money yet and kind of supporting us a little bit and being the rock at that point where I was kind of experimenting and trying things and tried streaming a little bit, you know, try a little this and that and came down to the end of the year of the player's championship. And I was really feeling it basically, you know, I felt like I needed to be, you know, I, I just graduated, you know, like I have my degree. What's my plan? What, what am I doing? You know, and I was considering going to get my master's to be a teacher. Um, the part-time teaching gig kind of just came up and I was like, all right, I can do that for a bit, but all right, now it's do or die. I gotta, I gotta actually commit to something. So I told myself that the 2015 players championship would be it, you know, like probably my last big tournament for a while. I would stop grinding a tour and I would just, you know, whatever happens there, that's my kind of end point and start focusing on career oriented stuff and things like that, you know? And then I win. So win the player <laughs> championship, uh, win 20 grand. And sure. that was sort of like, Oh, well now I have this windfall of money, which can financially back me, you know, so I can try and, you know, if I want to do content creation, I, now I have a, a bankroll to do that. And right. my picture is literally all over Star City Games holding a huge trophy. Um, I had been streaming a bit. It was kind of going cool. Maybe I should take a shot at this. You know, maybe this is the point. Maybe this is the, this is the, uh, the turning point of what I should be doing. So I talked to Nicole about it, and I decided that I would take one year. You know, take 2016 and try doing streaming full-time. And, you know, so that was basically it. Amped it up. Started streaming. Uh, that year also was the advent of Team MGG. Do you remember Team MGG? Uh, no, you have to tell me what that is. Yeah, so nobody remembers us. So right before the Player Championship in 2015, uh, two friends of mine, local Magic players, uh, Frank and Ricky, came to me, and they're like, hey, we want to start a Magic esports team. You know, there's always magic happening, Star City Tour and everything, and there's no team. There's, there were like a few teams, but they were just like, 
let's all wear hoodies that match and practice together. Yeah, sponsorship kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they weren't sponsored. They were just like, you know, we're team whatever. Oh, let's just let's just coordinate our wardrobe kind of thing. Yeah, you know, we're team. We're team in 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 air quotes, but we're not really like accomplishing anything beyond just like working together. And Mm -hmm. Frank and Rick had the idea to start a sponsored magic team, like esports. You put you put us in jerseys, put some logos on us, you know. And it's funny because they they asked me about it, and I was like, "Sounds kind of cool. I'll get back to you after the players' championship." So win the players' championship, come back to them, and now I kind of have it in my head that I can do magic full time. So yeah, let's do this. So 2016 was the year of Team MGG, uh, full time content creation. You know, I dove into streaming. I was streaming, I think, three days a week on a schedule, um, doing my articles, of course, on Star City still, and working on this team thing. So team metagame gurus. And our the idea was to have a website that was metagamegurus.com, offer coaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can sign up to coach one of the players on the team, accrue sponsors, where we'd have, we would have sponsors, you know, helping to pay us in, for our travel and things like that. Um, basically what you see now, essentially, you know, but we were a little ahead of our time. We were, you know, we were the Michael J. Fox, you know, strumming the guitar. We all aren't ready for that <laughs> yeah. yet. You know, so yeah. we did this for a year and we, we wore those hideous yellow jerseys. I don't know if you remember those. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sponsored by BCW Supplies, uh, by mm-hmm. Inked Gaming, and by CardHoarder.com. And those, it was two wild years where, you know, we went to every open of a team was myself, uh, Dan Jessup, Andrew Jessup, Pete Ingram, and Kevin Jones. And uh, it was a crew. Great, great crew. I mean, I love all those guys. You know, I'm oh, very, that's very a good. stack team right there, yeah. Yeah, very, <laughs> very good friends with all those guys. And it was a crazy year. And it was a little more than I realized it would be. Um, the first year, we kind of just did it. And I was helping to run the team a little bit. And I was the captain of the team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mostly focusing on playing and content and stuff. And then year two, we took on some more players, and I took on more of a managerial role in the team. And that was probably a mistake. Um, it was just too much. I was trying to play Magic full-time competitively, run my own stream and business full-time, help run this team. And let me tell you, running a team of Magic players is hell on earth. Um, I love all those guys. I love everyone. <laughs> um, trying to herd Magic players like trying to herd cats, you know? And, you know, uh-huh. some someone's not wearing their jersey. We didn't get a sponsorship. Oh, my God, we didn't do the thing. We didn't book this fight. You know, oh, my God, it was it was it was hell. Um, yeah. And trying to do that while doing content and while trying to travel and play in these events. Like, my my record that year was terrible. You know, like, I, uh-huh. I was already queued for the Players' Championship by, because I was a defending champion, but I did a very mm-hmm. poor year because I wasn't focusing on playing Magic. I was focusing on everything else, you know. Uh, but pretty crazy two years. You know, we added players, uh, Frank Scarron, Ben Freeman, uh, Brad Carpenter, and it's a pretty crazy two years. Um, it makes me a little sad. This is obviously very selfish and jealous of me that people don't remember us. You know, like now what you see, what we were doing, is just what everyone's doing now. Team Lotus Box and you know Team yeah. Nova, and like they just copy what we did basically, which is great. I mean, that's mm-hmm. um, we wanted. The goal was to have more teams on tour. You know, right. but it's almost like no one remembers us that we were the ones doing that first, you know, no one wore a Jersey and magic before we did. And, mm-hmm. and at worlds that year, they put everyone in jerseys, just like magic jerseys. But, you know, and like we did that, that was because of us, right. you know, and like, yeah. we never really got like the props for that, I guess. So, you know, I'm, 
a little sad about it, a little jealous in some regards, which is just, you know, not really rational, but whatever. But um, it was a crazy, you know, two years of that, and that had me in full time because now I'm creating content for myself. And now part of working with the team and learning about sponsorships and learning about how to run as a business kind of trained me for doing content full time as well. You know, I was doing it for the team, but also myself. And, you know, I learned a lot about how this is not just someone sitting in front of their computer in their underwear playing games. Like, this is business. Like, you know, hashtag esports. You know, like, you know, you need to run it like a business and treat everything you do professionally, you know, finding sponsors, keeping schedules, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's what got me in full time. And then even though it was a rough two years because I was overworking myself, you know, that laid the groundwork, you know, the being on, we, we, we killed it those two years. I mean, we played an open in Texas. It's a thousand person open and four of the five of us top eighted. We were half the top mm-hmm. eight. You know, I think Dan, Dan only top 32 and me, Andrew, Pete and Kevin all top eighted. And like, I think if I had won my last round, we would have been one, two, three, four. Unfortunately, I lost. So I was an eighth. So our brackets weren't perfect, but um, just insane. You know, like we had a really insane, like two years. What do you think you guys did as a team that really helped you reach that level of uh, or pinnacle of success there? We worked well together, honestly. You know, the the the, the start of the team was in the 2016 season. Uh, we didn't start immediately, and but we, we we were like we were we were working together behind the scenes and open in Baltimore first week of Shadows of Rannistrad. We go a day early. Me, Kevin, Dan, Andrew, and Pete. And we just holed up in the hotel and played Magic for 12 hours on Friday. It was a new standard format, brand new set, and we just broke it. We, we, we built a band company deck. It was the best deck I've ever played in a tournament. I won the tournament. Kevin and, and Dan came in 11th and, 11th and 12th, and we had all team kills. We all played each other like four times, you know. And so it could, we could have easily all been in top eight without team kills. And it was just the best deck in the tournament by a country mile. Like I've never felt so powerful in a tournament that I did in that tournament. Our deck was so much better than everyone else's decks, and obviously that became the mm-hmm. company deck that was you know, the best, the best deck in that format. We were just playing sure. it when no one else was, so it was just like very, very lopsided. And um, you know, from that point, we were like, "This is actually pretty cool." You know, we we just worked together on this for twelve hours, and you know, put in a lot of work, and came out with a really good result. And you know, we didn't always play the same decks and stuff, but we were very, very invested in doing well, you know, and succeeding as a team and kind of working together, and. That got lost a bit as time went on because I was focusing more on content. You know, for me, there there became a a shift where what's more important for me, top eighting this open or getting a new sponsor, you know, mm-hmm. or increasing my viewership, you know, what's going to help me more in the long run? You know, I already have the notoriety. You know, I've already won the big tournaments. I already have the trophies. Like, you know, and the competitive person in me wrenches at that thought, you know, like, what do you mean? You've done enough. You're... You're a competitor. Right. Go you win your fight freaking that. tournaments. Yeah. You know? But the reality is, like, I mean, I am I was 33 at the time or 32, whatever I was. I don't even know how old I am. Uh, you know, I've got Nicole and John. You know, we're starting to build a family. Like, and this was kind of the thing I was looking for previously where I'm, I was in college. And I'm like, all right, well, I need right. to do now, something. Now you've got it. Don't squander it, right? Go all exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, you know, went all in. Um, I ended up leaving the team uh, after that second year because I just couldn't handle it. It was just too much. And they mm-hmm. they tried some some Pro Tour Team Series stuff um, 
it was just too much. They just couldn't. It was just too much to do, and it just wasn't really profitable realistically. But um, it was a crazy two years, and that's kind of what got me locked into content creation full time, all in. And I've struggled over the last like I'll say even four years balancing things properly. Um, after MGG, I joined Team BCW. You know, Rick from BCW, good great guy. I love Rick. Rick worked with us with MGG, and then near the end of my tenure at MGG, it was sort of like, hey, why don't we just make a team? Instead of sponsoring your team, why don't we just make a team? And then I can run it, I being Rick, and you can just play. Because I was burnt, I was so burnt out at the end of the second year of MGG, where I was trying to run the team, stream, do everything, I was just imploding. Right. Don't be the manager, just just play, just participate. Right. So Team BCW, the, you know, the the uh, option was there to be on a sponsored team. They run it. You know, there's no conflict of interest. Because the problem was there's a big conflict where I was the only person on the team trying to brand myself, you know. And that was kind of the mm-hmm. issue with the team because the reality was everyone needed to be doing that for the team to really succeed. But they didn't want right. to, which is fine. You know, Andrew Jessup is not a streamer. Andrew is a an insane Magic player, a great dude, great friend of mine. But he's not an extroverted person who wants to sit in front of a camera and walk a walk a dance. You know, it's just not who he is. You know, he's mm-hmm. very competitive, very serious, wants to just play. And he was very good at the more uh, pedantic style content of just like, I'm really good. Watch me be really good. You know, but that doesn't really sell super well. And he's really like doing it, which is fine. You know, but so I was the one person on the team who was trying to do all that stuff. But there was a big conflict because I'm looking for a new sponsor for the team. Why the hell am I doing doing that when I could be looking for a sponsor for myself? Because realistically, I'm the only one doing any work. You know, when it comes to team like sponsorship business side stuff, because other guys don't want to do that, and that's fine. You know, so big conflict of interest there, and struggled with that for like two years, and then on Team BCW because of, it was just a single sponsor running the team that afforded me the opportunity to be like, okay, now I can get my own sponsors and worry about my own brand. You know, so did that for two years. That was definitely really cool. You know, I love Rick. I love BCW. BCW still sponsors me personally. Um, great company. But as a further step down the line of this competitive, you know, uh, juncture, a competitive clash, I don't know, of trying to be a competitive player but also be a successful content creator, it's just too much. You know, I uh, at the halfway through last year, I had gone to every open I had like one top eight and a bunch of pretty poor finishes because I really wasn't focused at all. You know, I'm trying to stream during the week, you know, do family stuff, do everything. And I'm, I'm just not doing well in tournaments. I'm, not, I'm practicing, obviously. You know, well, it's weird. I didn't practice for a tournament. I did bad. Who would have who thought that happened, you know? So <laughs> I uh, I decided halfway through last year, I'm going to chill. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. when the Players' Championship came back, came back last year, I was like, oh my God, the Players' Championship. Awesome. It's back because they canceled it for a few years. But then I realized I'm very, very different in 2019 than I was in 2015, you know, whereas, you know, the grinding all year for the player championship was in the cards for me then. Now it's just too big of a cost. And even if I won the 20 grand, I would have made much more than that if I just focused on streaming, you know, and my... The opportunity cost is real. Yeah, very real. And then there's also the risk of like, what if I don't win? What if I grind all year for the player championship and then I make it and then I just lose in top eight because it's a hard tournament, 
win a thousand dollars. It's my entire year for a thousand dollars. Like I can't, I can't do that. You know, so decided that I got to focus more on streaming. I got to stop, uh, you know, stop half-assing two things and whole-ass one thing. And uh, you know, so focus more on content creation. Focus more on my stuff. I still want to compete. I still love competing, but it, it was a hard choice to make. But I, I feel like I'd already made it subconsciously. You know, maybe even a year or two prior. You know, I knew what I need what I needed to be doing. I just didn't want to give it up in a way. Uh, but so that was the, that's kind of like the full path. You know, now I'm at the point where I still plan some events. You know, but my focus through and through is my content and making the best content I can and uh, trying to be consistent with it, get sponsors, and realistically just support myself and my family as best I can. Do you ever want to get back to the PT or the Mythic Championships in some way? Yeah, I mean, I played in Mythic Championship uh, 3, maybe? The one, the one in Barcelona. It was uh, a yeah. standard, I think. But um, played in that, you know. Um, definitely still love playing high-level Magic. You know, I flew to, I flew to DreamHack a few weeks ago to play in the DreamHack tournament. Yeah, uh, I saw which that. Was awesome. Yeah. You know, I I still love competing. You know, it's just the the reality of kind of like the grind of you know trying to accrue X points to qualify for Y tournaments isn't in the cards anymore. I can't do that. You know, but still playing qualifiers here and there. You know, um, it's funny. There's a qualifier uh, tomorrow actually in New York City that I'm. I'm registered for it. Me and Nicole are registered for it. It's a 32-person PT cube. It's capped. And, like, we're mm-hmm. deciding if we should go or not because, you know, going to New York City. Yeah, so, well, it's pretty good odds, right? 32 people. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an insane qualifier. But, you know, middle of New York City, middle of the coronavirus stuff, we're deciding what we're going to do. Yeah. But, you know, so I still want to qualify for things, but I'm not willing to, to sacrifice everything, basically, like I used to. You know, there was a time when I was in my 20s where – I would cut you to go to a PTQ. Like, if you were in my way of me going to PTQ, I would cut you. I, like, quit a job once, you know. I was like, you gotta work, you gotta work Saturday. No, I don't. You got a PTQ. You know, work or you're fired. See you later. You know, like, and you're just not a way to live. You know, so mm-hmm. um, definitely want to. You know, I would love to play in one of the uh, the arena tournaments. One of the arena, uh, they keep changing the names of them, honestly. But Mythic Invitational <laughs> Championship, whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, I love the DreamHack stuff. It's really cool. I love all the tournaments I played on on uh, online. Phantom Legends, Twitch Rivals, the ones I, I play in stream where I'm playing like a real tournament for real prize money on a Tuesday in my office. That's really cool mm-hmm. too. Um, I'll still never miss an Invitational. You know, the Star City Tour Invitationals are just the best. You know, I played in mm-hmm. like two Opens this year so far. It's also once we buy the house and move and things calm down i'll travel a little more but it's definitely going to be more of a you know case by case thing than a trying to qualify for everything or trying to really grind thing you know um and it's hard it's, it's hard to reconcile that you know because i i feel less competitive because of it but it's just reality you know that's what i'm curious about is now when you go into one of these events like a dream hack or a ptq What's your mindset? It's got to be different from the 20-year-old gym, at least in the sense of your back's not against the wall. You're not thinking like, I, I need to make my entry fee back. What goes through your mind now when you go to one of these events? Do you still have that killer mentality or is it shifted, evolved into something else? Not as much as I would like to, honestly. I miss it. You know, It's funny, I played a match uh, last year at some point and 
well, I'll name any names, but a player on the play on the SG tour, uh, we were in a, we were in a game where I had the game literally won on turn six, wouldn't concede, and I was pretty mad about it, and I ended up playing his friend in the very last round, and it was a pair up, so his friend could like maybe make top eight or make top sixteen or whatever, and he was sort of like asking me to concede in kind of like a roundabout way, and he was like saying like, you know, I'm pretty hungry. You want to get some food? Or whatever. I mean, we could just like you know not do the match right. and get some food. And I was like, yeah, I am pretty hungry. Let's play. And I just <laughs> rushed him into the ground. Like I played. Right. Like I, I just and like I felt like I was playing a PTQ again at like 25 years old right. for that one particular match. And it felt so good. But uh-huh. tapping into that fire is just it's just so hard. I, I, you know because I just I know that there are bigger picture things going on. You know and like I played goblins at Mythic Championship Barcelona in modern. And mm-hmm. I thought the deck was good. You know, I wasn't just playing it like to meme or whatever. But I also, in the back of my mind, knew I'm probably getting a deck tech. This is very good for my brand. You know, this is a good thing mm-hmm. for me to do on that side of things. And sure, there's I, other considerations, yeah. Right. I wouldn't yeah. have played the deck if I didn't think it was good. You know, I think I, I went 5-5. Five, five. I, under, I definitely underestimated my Hogak matchup a little bit. I think I went 1-3 and three against Hogak. Didn't think it was that bad. But, um, you know, I didn't do badly. I wouldn't have played the deck if I thought it was bad, but it was definitely a good thing for me as my brand and as a whole to play goblins in that tournament. So it's tough. You know, I, if I could kind of bottle that fire up and like drink it, I'd pay a lot of money for it. Cause I, I do miss that. You know, I miss the, the feeling of I'm in this room. I'm not literally going to kill everyone, but I'm going to, you know, everyone here is my enemy. I'm going to win this Hunger Games at the end of this. There's going to be a, a, a pile of bloody bodies. I'm going to be the last person standing, you know. Yeah, winner take all, right? right. It's not about making friends there. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and like, I play hockey like that, you know, like, it's, right. it's how, that's how I do all, and that's what we're trying to teach John, honestly, you know. We tell him on the car ride of the game, like, listen, when that game starts, you hate everyone. You know, like, you get out there and you 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 shove some people, you play hard, you steal the puck, they stole the puck from you. They think you suck. Yeah. Get out there and win, you know, and um, I definitely miss that, and I I don't necessarily know how to recapture that in a way, you know. Like it's mm-hmm. I still hate losing, I still love competing, I still want to win, you know, I still play hard, but that like raw like primal fire, you know, like it's not definitely there like it was when I was younger, you know, and it's it's really tough, and this is a, a thing I've always wanted to write an article about, but could never really convey kind of finding the mix between that fire and then being sort of stoic. You know, the the default in magic is, you know, I have no emotions. You know, things happen and I just logically analyze them and do the best I can, you know, kind of thing, you know. and um, Or I never tilt because nothing will phase me. Right, you know, and that's like the, the way to, the proper way to be in like magic or poker. And I don't think that's necessarily right. Because there's a long, you know, a long way between like apathy and stoicism, you know. And if you, yeah. if you don't care, then do you care? You know, like kind of thing. Um, right. So it's a, a topic that's always kind of befuddled me a little bit. Um, I have a really good book that I I read called uh, The Mental Game of Poker that I highly recommend to anyone looking at mental game stuff. It's obviously poker related, but it's very easy to translate to magic um, that goes over that. It kind of talks about the idea of it. Like your emotions are not your enemy. 
you know, your goal is not mm-hmm. to be an emotionless robot. You have them. You need to cultivate them in the proper ways, not just try and bottle them up and ignore them, you know? Right. And right. it's a tough topic. You know, it's, 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 you should obviously care a lot, but you can't let it affect you in negative ways, but you want to use it positively. It's, it's very, very challenging, you know, um, to find that sort of drive and not let it get to you. You know, you, you go to a tournament and you feel like you have to win to pay your rent or whatever. That's extremely unhealthy, but you're amped up. You know, you're ready to go. You know, it's funny. What's that saying? Uh, pressure makes diamonds, right? Exactly. You know, but at the same time, it's also really unhealthy. So, like, uh, it's funny. Kevin Jones, who was definitely the wildest member of Team MGG and uh, caused a lot of headaches, missed a lot of flights, uh, he missed a flight to one of our tournaments. And we were obviously furious yeah. because the team was paying for the flights. And we're all here in... Texas or whatever, and you're not, how did you miss your flight? We paid for it. And he was obviously felt kind of, he was kind of mad about it and just, you know, just didn't feel good about it. He felt very amped up about it. And he went to the, the WMCQ that was local instead and just won. Probably because he was so amped up from, you know, just the, the whole rigmarole of like, they're mad at me, screw them. I'm going to go in this tournament you know, like, right. And that, that was, I'm going to hate win this tournament just to show you guys. Exactly. Right? You know, it was, and like, that's not necessarily healthy either, but I understand that it's a really good yeah. motivator. Like in that match I played at the star city event, whatever, like I have not played that hard in a decade to win that right. match, you know? And right. like, it didn't even matter. I was playing for like top 32 over some dumb tournament. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter at all, but like, it's just that finding the right, mo- right, right motivations and stuff. So it's a challenge. But I think that's so true. It's so true. Like, I, I think there's this weird uh, misconception that we're supposed to bottle up all of our emotions and be robots when we play games like this. But in fact, you have to learn to, like, channel your aggression in a way that's still there, but it still, like, works to your advantage, right? I don't think you should play Magic not feeling happy or upset or angry or whatever. You need to actually channel. You just need to channel that. That sounds like that's what you you have learned to do over the years? It's hard, you know, because I, I, I still try and be very stoic when I play. Uh, like when I won the Players' Championship, literally won the biggest tournament mm-hmm. of my life, you know, changed my entire life, I just sat back in my chair. I didn't pump my fist, I didn't jump up. Part of that, not wanting to like style on my opponent, like Todd's a great person, I, I love Todd, you know, but partly because there's yeah. sort of like, there wasn't that, you know, jump out of your seat in me, there was the calm, collected, I need to be, you know, a stoic monk and win this tournament kind of thing, you know? So it, it's so hard to find the right, I, I don't even know. Like, you know, if you asked me what's the right way to play magic, I would not have an answer for you, you know? And mm-hmm. it's tough too, because magic's the kind of game where you need to think a lot. You know, one of the things about the other sports that I play, hockey, golf, especially, is that once you start playing, you turn your brain off. You know, when you're practicing, you think about everything, you know, in golf, especially, yeah. You're practicing, work on your swing, work on your hip turn, think about your hands, whatever. Once it's time to go play your 18 holes in the first tee, stop thinking. Turn it all off mm-hmm. and just do it because mm-hmm. it's not, not the time to think that's what all, That's what all the training, all the practice is for so that you're locked in, right? Exactly. So, you know, and you kind of just do it and let it flow out of you and let it let it happen kind of thing. But magic doesn't really allow you to do that. You need to think a lot. You know, the achieving that flow state in magic is extremely difficult. You know, and so you you need if you need to think, then you are activating those parts of your brain, and that's where everything can go crazy. You know, you can 
come at it with that fire, but if things go wrong, the fire can burn you and then you, you explode. So it's it's a really, really complicated and interesting topic, and I wish I knew more about it. And part of what makes me sad a little bit about what I do now is that I don't really think about that anymore. You know, it's more about get the next sponsor, what's the next stream, what's the next, you know, my my end game is to have the best stream possible, not to win the most magic matches. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not, you know, don't want to sound negative in any way. My life is amazing. What I do is awesome. And I'm extremely fortunate that people literally, my job is to make an ass out of myself on the internet. You know, like I just mm-hmm. put a camera on and play magic and my hamster's in the background licking himself. And I'm, this is what I do for a living. It's insane. You know, I try and explain it to people and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, so very, very thankful for it. But, you know, from a competitive standpoint, you know, I, I do miss the, the almost academia of, uh, trying to figure those things out, understand how to play and, and the best way to approach things and so on and so forth. So still there, you know, I, I definitely would like to, to get back to that at some point, but I don't know. It's interesting. I want to get into your mind when you're doing your streams, because mm-hmm. I know by now, I mean, talking to you today and also before that you're very competitive in a lot of aspects. And I think there are points in the stream where you try to, channel that for example when you take someone's uh deck submission and you try to figure out how to make it better and you you actually treat the games seriously as a, like you know i'm trying to win here like how do i make this into a from a tier two to a tier one deck etc the question here is how do you balance the performative aspect of streaming with wanting to actually just play as good as possible because playing as good as possible is also theoretically helpful to your viewership so like how do you how do you balance that as, a, as someone who's streamed a lot? It's very difficult. Um, I would say on stream, I play at about 65% of my capacity. I'd say that's probably around average for streamers. Um, it's very, very difficult to... And I'm, I'm not trying to pity party myself here. You know, I'm just saying that it is very difficult. It, it's, to, it's factual, sure. Yeah. yeah, very, very difficult to play a game as complicated as Magic while verbally you know, maintaining... Uh, dialogue, paying attention to hundreds of people who are talking at once, you know, maintaining a broadcast, you know, just the just the, the logistics of a camera and is, is your mic okay and so on and so forth and play Magic at the same time. It's tough, you know, and there, there are actually times where I will do a no microphone stream, which I find people actually really like. Um, it's a fun way to kind of like watch me as a more serious player where if I'm prepping for a tournament, I'll say, all right, today's the no mic stream. So I put some music on. I'm gonna peek at chat occasionally, but for the most part, just sit and play. And you get to fly on the wall, watch me play, and then occasionally I'll pop in between games and talk about stuff. You know, so I can I try and regiment it a little bit in that regard, where I kind of can separate it. You know, and be like, this is me playing at 85 percent rather than 60 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's still not 100 because you're you're streaming. Right. You I, know, I, I, I would say that like if I'm playing in a tournament, I'm usually at 90 percent. You know, the goal is to reach okay. 100, but I think that. That's a, a state you don't reach often, you know. But, you know, if I'm in a tournament, I'm playing at 90%, I'm happy. So, you know, 60% is the, the base, is the relative, you know, to that. But um, it's hard. It's hard to, because if you, the more you think, the quieter you are. Obviously, you go in the tank, you know, and you don't talk for a little bit, and it's not very entertaining, you know. So it's it's a really, really hard balance that I've been working on for basically years, um, you know, Certain scenarios call for different things. If I'm playing a, a silly meme deck, we're just kind of having fun. Yeah, whatever, you know. 
But like you're saying, if I'm playing someone else's deck or I'm trying to, you know, get Mythic or I'm playing instead of streamer, you know, whatever the situation di- dictates, you know, like we can kind of weave it in and out a little bit where I'll talk a little less or play a little more. Or if the clock's low, then I got to stop talking. But, um, yeah. uh, but it's tough. It's, it's a hard, it's definitely a, a hard and interesting balance to try and walk because what's best for content is not best for winning the game always and vice versa. And uh, still working on it. I think it's a, a thing that every streamer and content creator kind of struggles with. Um, there are a few people who can just do it seamlessly, which amazes me. Um, I think LSV is really good at that. But um, obviously, she's good at everything. But uh, And it, it, it crosses over, too. You know, I personally... I don't watch much magic because I literally do magic 24-7, you know? I work for 11 hours yeah. a day doing magic. When it's time to relax at night, I'm probably not going to watch magic unless I have a really good reason to. So the game that I watch and I play casually is StarCraft. Uh, I love StarCraft. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite game. And I watch a couple of StarCraft streamers that I like. And one of the ones that I like, is uh, his name is Vibe. And he just has this uncanny ability to be able to play at a high level and narrate his thought process and everything he's doing in real time. You know, some 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 streamers that I watch, the game gets intense, they just get really quiet and they're really banging away on the keyboard and like they're really locked in. And he can just train of thought what he's doing while he's doing it with very little downside to his playability. And that's so like he's got like another processor going or something. Basically, yeah, you know, and that's the holy grail. I mean, it, that's the kind of thing. I mean, he streams all the time. You know, the the more I do it, the better I get at it. Also. But sure. that's the holy grail. That's what, you know, if you're able to, to do that and find that perfect mix between playing well and talking it all out, um, that's very difficult. But it's very impressive. And I think also it's, it's he's typically discussing the game. It's a lot of times where I'm streaming and like, I just want to hang out. You know, let's talk about movies. Let's talk about the new Star Wars movie, how it sucks so bad. You know, let's talk about this and that. Let's talk about whatever. And I'm kind of just yapping away about some other topic. It's not magic. And I play bad in the game because I'm not paying attention, you know. So there's that too. You know, everyone wants to kind of hang out and chill too. So there's an aspect of that where, you know, typically vibes talking specifically about the game all the time. Therefore, he's still focusing on it. Right. But there's an element to streaming and just hanging out. You know, we want to hang out and talk about, you know, how crazy the world is right now with coronavirus and, you know, the most recent Marvel movie and whatever it is, you know. So that hangout element is definitely. Even if you make a mistake in the hangout mode, people are much less likely to be like, you know, you're an idiot, you know. It's always that one guy. But, but um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it depends on the mood of the stream as well. So it's, it's, a, it's very much a moving target. How do you read the crowd? Is it entirely dictated by you, like we're going to talk about the Star Wars movie? Or is, it, is there some kind of uh, almost symbiotic back and forth where you try to figure out what, you should, what mode you should be in? It's very back and forth. Um, one, I'm just a weird person. Uh, I kind of just say stuff like things pop in my head, like some weird movie reference or just start just start riffing on a reference. Kind yeah, of I'll just like say something dumb. And one of the things I enjoy most about streaming is that no matter how dumb or obscure some reference I make is, at least one person always gets it. You know, just like mm. you know, law of large numbers or whatever. Uh, so like. I kind of just, you know, then we'll go off that and then it'd be from a movie and we'll discuss the movie or whatever. And I try to keep it nice and organic. I think it's fun to discuss things as they come up. And, you know, I know some streamers try to have like a, almost like a topic list, 
of like things they wanted to go want to go over and things like that. And I try to just do things very off the cuff. And I have a lot of experience doing yeah. that. You know, um, I did the radio show thing in, in broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. the, the radio show honestly prepped me for streaming really well. I mean, I had a radio show. I was on two hours every Monday for four years, and that's the same mm-hmm. thing where you're just it's literally just streaming. You know, I'm I'm at a, at a station. You can't see me, but I'm talking, pressing buttons, having to work things behind the scenes while also maintaining a flow. Um, things break, things go wrong, you know, have to kind of work with the punches, need to be talking about things that are interesting. There's no back and forth in the radio, which is a little weird. You're kind of just like talking into the void and don't necessarily yeah, know. You're just, you're just monologuing, right? Right, yeah. and you don't know who's listening or not listening, but I used to have the bands on, so they'd be there hanging out. I'd be talking to them, doing interviews and stuff. So that primed me really well for streaming. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like things to be very organic and off the cuff. Even for this interview, you know, we have, we have the outline, which is great, but I don't want that open right now. I'm just going to kind of talk and let it happen, you know, and I like just, right. I like just taking things as they come and kind of rolling with them. Um, it's fun, it's challenging, and it kind of keeps me alert and it's just, it's organic. You know, my, my favorite streamer, have you seen the Sushi Dragon? I have not seen the Sushi Dragon. Go watch the Sushi Dragon. He is, uh, his name's Stefan. He's from California. I got to, got to meet him at TwitchCon. He's just an awesome dude uh, for a bit. But he's, he's just, I describe him as if Tony Stark didn't want to make an Iron Man suit and save the world and wanted to use his technical genius to stream. That's who Sushi Dragon is. He has, his stick is you donate money and pick a song and he dances for you. But he's live editing everything on the spot. He has two hand controllers, and he's changing cameras, putting on effects. His entire basement is a green screen. And he's different effects are going on. He has a thousand million different scenes. He's doing stuff now with, like, cameras all over his body, basically, and perspective point of yeah. views. And he's dancing, and the, the camera's just changing constantly. There's effects going off, and he, he has, like, laugh tracks and soundboards uh-huh. and visual effects. And it's just, like, unbelievable to watch. But while his shtick is you pay him to dance, he dances with effects and stuff, half his stream is him just hanging out at the computer, talking to chat, fixing things as they break, playing sound effects, and just riffing off what everyone's saying. And it's sort of like a modern-day Letterman, honestly, where yeah, if you host him, he'll Skype you in. He'll do like an interview. And he has like a whole interview thing mm-hmm. set up with like a little table and chairs and green screen stuff. And you know, me and Nicole did one once. It was super fun. And it's all just off the cup improv, like mm-hmm. someone says something, he just goes with it. And it's it's like the ultimate crowd work, right? I think that's what they call it. Exactly. I mean, it's it's improv basically. It just you know, it's just like improv theater. Yeah. And he has all the sound effects and the effect. It just it just he's phenomenal. He's just an actual genius. I love him. Uh, so stuff like that really interests me. You know, the ability. It's just it's just improv in general. The ability to kind of like riff off things, take a small thing and kind of go off of it and follow kind of threads like that. And it's a thing that I want to work into my streaming. Um, once we move, I've been a big joke on my stream. has been hashtag soon because once we move, I have always ideas I want to do. I haven't been able to do them yet, but, um, right. you know, as I soon wanna, as you move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hashtag soon eventually, but you know, I want to set up a green screen. I want to do kind of like effect based stuff. Like, you know, he's doing where it's more interactive and things are going off. And, uh, whenever someone subs the graphic he has, Instead of having a static image saying blah 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 has subbed, it's a, a fireball effect. And he moves his mouth onto the screen like he's breathing the fire. 
it just it's just uh, brilliant. It just it just like brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant making just playing along with that. Taking the medium and doing more with it than I'm sitting in a yeah. room playing a game. You know, and yeah. I've always loved that. On the radio too. I loved, you know, when a radio DJ would push weird buttons and do weird things mm-hmm. and have weird sound effects like I got really weird one day on the radio and I was just like playing a lot of weird instrumental music and we had a box at the studio full of PSAs where part of being a public radio station is you need to play PSAs every hour. So it's a, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Billy smoked cigarettes and he died of cancer. So don't smoke cigarettes kind of stuff. And it's just a box with like a thousand of these PSAs. And I was just playing weird music, like looping the music, like playing the PSAs over the music and like stopping them halfway <laughs> through. Billy was, Billy was, you know, cigarettes, cigarettes, you know, and like, and just, I spent two hours hitting yeah. buttons and doing weird stuff like that. I just love stuff like that. You know, just taking a medium and doing things to it that are unexpected and it's just art, you know, and the, more, the Sushi Dragon's yeah. big thing is, you know, he always says, thank you for appreciating my art because it's just art in a different medium. It's not a canvas. It's not a feature length mm-hmm. movie. It's just something else, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just really, really cool. I like, I like that stuff a lot. That's cool. So aside from the Sushi Dragon um, work of art kind of thing that's going to be showing up in on your on your stream hashtag soon, what else can we expect from you in terms of maybe some things coming up for you in the horizon? The goal is to kind of bring everything together. You know, I feel like in the last year, I mean, we've been through a lot in the last year or so with, you know, buying a house and not working out and not being able to move and so on and so forth. You know, I don't get into it too far usually, but um, it's been a pretty insane two years for Nicole, John and I and our family. And, you know, the it feels like my stream has been held together with duct tape and bubble, bubble gum for the last year where I have a new computer. I haven't even finished setting it up yet. I want to rebuild the stream on it. So the the, rea- the, the reasoning being that like, I don't want to just move my stream to that computer. I want to rebuild an entirely new stream on it. And I just haven't really had the time, yeah. you know. And so I want to be doing the technical stuff better. Um, the goal is to be on a full schedule, um, to have kind of like a certain shows, you know, I do. Like I do um, the Your Deck Live show where I play viewers' decks. Um, I have an idea for a show called Freshly Brewed where I just every week just build a deck, you know, in a format. Mm-hmm. You know, build a modern deck, build a whatever um, things like that, you know, have some, some more regimented show type stuff. And, um, mostly just expectations, you know, you'll just know on Tuesday every day is freshly brewed Tuesday at 1 PM or whatever it is. Um, I used to do a thing on my stream called challenge Thursday where viewers would submit challenges to me. So for example, uh, the binary challenge, I can only build a deck in modern with cards that cost zero or one, you know, Mm -hmm. or the, I don't know, you know, I can play two of each card rather than four. Whatever it is, you know, it's like challenges. And I would put up a a vote on what the challenge should be. People would vote on it. Mm-hmm. And then I would have an hour to build a deck and then play it in the challenge and see if I could win or not. You know, and people like that a lot. It was really fun. You know, do more stuff like that. Um, just try and just, just get things into a, a stable place, you know. And Nicole's going to help with that a lot too because like I said earlier, uh, Nicole's going to be leaving her job to work with me because a lot of my time is just spent putting videos on YouTube and editing thumbnails and sending emails and, you know, kind of administrative things that Nicole can do, you know, and that gives me more time to do content and kind of work on my ideas and stuff. Cause you know, I work a lot, you know, I, there's a lot of days where I'm Mm -hmm. get up at eight or get up at seven, put John on the bus at eight. And then I start streaming, stream for nine hours, finish streaming 
you know, upload the videos, make the thumbnails, write my article, and it's midnight. You know, and it's like, yeah. oh, I've been working nonstop for 13 hours or whatever. And what I do is great. I love it. Again, I'm not complaining, but, you know, it's a, it's a lot of time that I spend working on stuff. And Nicole being able to do some of those things to lighten the load and help me out will help me have more time to do more content stuff. You know, it's it's hard to – it's sort of like someone who, you know, who works and goes to school full time and their house is messy. Yeah. Because realistically, they get home from work and school – and they're exhausted. Sure. They want to I watch. mean, something has to give, right? Right. They want to watch a show for an hour and go to sleep, you know, so the house is messy, you know? So uh, right now my, my streaming house is messy. You know, there's a lot of things I want to work on. My, my alerts stopped working like a few months ago, randomly just haven't tried to fix it. Couldn't fix it. You know, like things are just like breaking and the, the, the boat is leaking here and there, you know, but we're just trying to get to shore so we can build our new boat, you know? So it's been, it's been hectic, but you know, I have a, a book, of ideas written down at my date book. I have the first few pages are just like ideas, you know, sound effects and, and visual effects and different scenes. And I want to do like the green screen stuff where if I win a big match, I can like hit a button and it goes to a different scene of me in like a press conference, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, it's a cut to like some reporter asking, you know, LeBron James about how his game went. Like, so what do you think about that game? And it cuts back to me and I'm like, yo, that game was crazy. You know, I didn't think we were going to draw the bolt, but we did, you know, kind of do fun stuff like that. And like, right. Stuff like so Just many, make it more entertaining. Yeah. Right. You know, make it art, make it the media, use the medium in different uh-huh. ways. And, you know, I, I think my, my audience has gotten frustrated a little bit because I've been talking about this stuff for like over a year. I actually paid an animator uh-huh. to make animations for me over a year ago. I haven't used them. Um, you know, so it's just been like a hectic, crazy mess. And I'm, you know, Nicole and I, aside from just the, the obvious of wanting to have our own place and have our own house and live in our own place, you know, the, the stream stuff too, is just wanting to get some stability and just, all right, this is my office now. I can set it the way I want to, you know, start working on building the stuff that I want to build and, you know, get it all done. So and have the time and ability to do that. So we're almost there. You know, it's, I feel like my viewers are sharing my pain a little bit, you know, where, we've been stressed out over the last year trying to get all the stuff done and it definitely spills over into my content a bit. Um, so the goal is to get past that and uh, mm-hmm. just be as big as possible, honestly, you know, to try and do the coolest content I can and, and reach, reach the most people and do something interesting and unique and enjoyable. That's awesome. So for those who have maybe uh, have been living under a rock, like what's the best place to find you online? What are all the places that people can check out your content? So it's a big three. Um, I'm on everything as Jim Davis MTG, all one word. Uh, and that's on Twitch, on YouTube, and on Twitter. Um, don't use Instagram or anything like that. I'm too old and crotchety. Uh, not hip enough. But um, like TikTok, what's what's TikTok? I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know? I shouldn't know. I, I know what it is. But it's funny. We actually, Nicole and I were at TwitchCon uh, last year and we went to a TikTok booth and it was a contest. You make a TikTok, you can win some stuff. Made a TikTok, won the grand prize and had to check a bag on the way home. He won like a keyboard, a mouse, a, a microphone. And so we're, we're, we're oh, TikTok wow. veterans now. All right. But, um, but yeah, so it's just Twitter, Twitter, uh, YouTube and, and Twitch. Um, I stream usually during the week, um, usually weekdays. It's usually, it's honestly often the hours people work. Which I would like to do a, a night stream or two here and there because I'm usually work. I'm usually streaming from like eight or nine to maybe three to five. Uh, often while John's at school, 
And part of Nicole being home from work also will help me because typically I have to stop my stream to get John off the bus, you know, and then that's it for, for the day. Mm -hmm. So um, it's usually on during the days. And then I post a YouTube video basically every day. Um, YouTube stuff is a, a mix of a lot of things right now. The goal is to have it be more set so you know every Wednesday night I post a video of Challenge Wednesday or whatever and so on and so forth. So right. as of right now, though, it's just it's one video a day. And then Twitter, of course, do some fun stuff on Twitter. I do uh, the Zibby of the Week. We have a hamster mm -hmm. named Zibby, named after Mika Zibanejad of the Rangers, and uh, he's the best. So we do Zibby, Zibby of the Week. I'm on on, uh, on Mondays, Hand of the Week on Wednesdays, you know, and uh, try and be active on Twitter as well. So those are the platforms. Could expand to more platforms at some point maybe, but those are the big three for sure. Well, Jim, thank you so much today for your time and uh, hope you have a rest, a good rest of the week. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me so much. Obviously, uh, I love you guys. Cardboard Live sponsors me as well as uh, BCW Supplies, CoolStuffInc.com, The Hex Holder, and Colwest Apparel. Got to mention them or I'll get in trouble. And uh, yeah, I mean, the this, this show is great and I'm very happy to be on it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. To get more information about the show and to join the mailing list, please visit humansandmagic.com. And don't forget, the Humans and Magic book is now available on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. We'll see you next time.